it has been three months, but welcome to the Caffeine Crew Cast of Pods, episode number 63. This month, we return to celebrate Pride Month. Uh, that's right, tonight we're going to be talking about LGBTQ representation in pop culture. Um, but before we dive into the normal show uh, and kick off with our way that we start our show all the time with our Would You Rather, I want to really make sure to take this time to tell you a couple things. First off, the audio quality is going to sound dramatically different. Uh, the main reason on that is this is the first time we're doing this all via Zoom. We also have a larger crew than we usually do. We actually have eight of us on this call. Uh, ben is kind enough to kind of be our producer tonight, so big special thanks to Ben Beck for helping us out with that. Uh, and then, like I said, between myself, we also have 600 individuals, those being tonight, Kat. Hi. Yep, there you go. <laughs> Jada. Hello. TJ. Hi. I Bill. take a cue. <laughs> Bill is here. Greetings from quarantine. Jess. Oh, hi. And Aaron. Hello. All right. So before we get into the meat of our episode, um, as we just mentioned, because of quarantine and such, which is the reason why we didn't do this, um, and I really want to kind of, you know, preface this uh, up front, is uh, we were kind of hoping that by now we would have been able to do this all in person. And we're like, you know what, if we miss an episode or two, it's not unlike us normally during the year to miss an episode or two. If they were back to back, cool. That's okay. You know what? That's fine. We'll just dive back into it. And that kind of kept shifting. And I think all of us lost track of time, days, all those things. And before we knew it, um, June was almost over. Uh, but we actually already knew this year that we planned on doing a Pride episode. So I was like, let's not miss this opportunity to really get a chance to celebrate this. But before we dive into that, though, I figured I'd really just kick it around to everybody here. And you guys can feel free to throw up your hands, whoever wants to go. But that's what you've been doing with your time since we've taken this long extended break. Bill. I'm going to start off by being the most basic that I can be. I made sourdough starter and I made <laughs> sourdough bread and I've been making a fuck ton of bread, like way too much bread for two people to eat. Um, so I can't wait until we get out of quarantine so I can share this bread with all of you. Well, you also have to bring up at least what did you name your starter? Oh yeah. So, so obviously if you know anything about sourdough starter, you're supposed to name it, so I figured, what better name than Bredsley Crusher? Because I was watching, rewatching Next Generation at the time. Very nice, Aaron. All right, so um, I, I, along with Bill, started the quarantine with um, rage baking, as I called it, and it was scones and cookies and breads. Um, and then thinking that quarantine wouldn't go as long as has, has gone, because as you kind of said, time has become a construct beyond our <laughs> thoughts. And uh, so now my husband and I are doing Weight Watchers to work off all of that quarantine baking. <laughs> Very nice. Jada. Um, so I am an essential worker, so I have still been working three days a week. Um, I work for a bank, so uh, my job is considered essential because all of y'all like to get your checks paid and your deposits made and all that stuff. So, um, you know, we've been pretty much under lockdown at work. Um, the first like half of quarantine, I was homeschooling my kids or crisis schooling, as I call it, because it ain't nothing fun about it and working out a whole lot because it was the only way to help relieve my stress. Um, I was teaching Bombay Jam over Zoom for my regular crew on Sundays and doing a lot of online classes through the studio that I'm a member at, the Vibe Vault Fit Studio. So that was a huge, huge help in helping me stay sane. So 
Um, unfortunately, no time for me to do any sourdough baking or anything like that, but um, we're managing and we made it. Okay. Um, I've been, I finished my yoga teacher training over quarantine. We just finished it over Zoom. Um, I've been incubating a small child. Yep, because uh, oh, yeah. you haven't made that announcement as of yet because uh yeah so you are halfway through your pregnancy now because that's yes. where we're at this this far in so yeah <laughs> and um then actually even though work was um I wasn't able to do my massage work uh I ended up with a lot of editing work the past two months so I've been pretty much full-time doing that um for some reason like freelance clients started just like emailing me randomly i'm like okay that's awesome <laughs> nice. but yeah tj uh i've been working on my DD game i am now a full plot line ahead of <laughs> where you guys are um i am also working on another DD game uh for my father uh for his birthday i'm going to be running a one shot for him but he doesn't know that yet <laughs> that's pretty cool jess so i also started off by baking some bread started my sourdough did not name it but it's still alive it's doing good lots and lots of bread lots and lots of uh cinnamon rolls and things like that um i read a lot i read a lot a lot and um, I think I read like 15 books oh God. because I had nothing else to do at the time. Um, also got bored. So I got an internship at a literary agency and have been joining in some of Kat's yoga classes, which has been very wonderful, very healing. <laughs> and then about three weeks ago, my store opened again. So we're back and for good or for bad, I'm back and it's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> all right well as for me um i have not been doing any kind of podcasting actually this has been normally this is when i would be doing a ton but uh this is the first one i've done actually since this whole thing kicked off we just ended dc prime time i think uh ben corrects me uh, correct me if i'm wrong on that but that was right around when all of this went down um i think we we were wrapped up by like a week or two and we were like, oh, cool, we'll have all the time in the universe at this point to play all of the board games. Yeah, that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so at this point, I honestly kind of started into rage redecorating the house. Um, so let's see, uh, I put up a new chandelier. Uh, I took down all the art in our main room, reframed and matted about like, I think it was like 20 different pieces of art. Uh, built new furniture, redecorated one of the rooms in our house, which is now a completely 100% done nursery from top to bottom. Um, let's see. Uh, and I've still been working because I am an essential worker as well through all of this. I've just been filling in my time with things like that. But um, my biggest thing has been honestly to try to keep our friends together as best as possible. Uh, and I've been doing like online movie nights and such, whatever um, time has permitted over the weekends to try to do little things. So it's been fun to be able to try to do little things like that. But it's been a really nice, nice little way to do that. Kat? One of us has been nesting and it hasn't been me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be 100% true. So. 
Um, but yeah, no, I think it's really great though that everybody's been trying to stay relatively busy and honestly, like using platforms for Zoom, even through things like, you know, doing this for a podcast, but it's been a great way for all of us to still be able to stay together um, through all of this with uh, our group between D&D with TJ and um, Bill, Ben and myself have been playing board games and all these other things and movie nights and such. So, you know, Zumba classes, mm. yoga classes, you know, keeping up with, you know, significant others across the, you know, across state, like states and such, and, you know, townships has been wonderful. So, uh, but thank you guys all for being back here tonight to kind of get the show back on track. And then, like I said, uh, I guess the, how we do that is kicking over to our question to kick off the episode is this is would you rather be the personal assistant to David Bowie or to George Takai? Uh, and I'm going to start off with uh, Jada. Definitely David Bowie. I mean, there's, I, I love me some George Takai, but I would have to definitely just go with David Bowie. I mean, like how much glitter could you throw at somebody and have it like, yeah, I can't even imagine, like, there were just, that would just be, like, the best job ever. Occasionally, like, a Muppet falls after him, and you have to, like, scamper and get it. Like, no goblins, no, come back this way. Um, but I just, I would have to absolutely go with David Bowie. Very nice. Um, Bill. Oh, oh no, I, I knew you were going to pick me. <laughs> I wasn't ready to explain this yet. I, I'm, no one I'm, I, my, my, my selection is going to be based off of how all of your faces are in the grid for Zoom. And I'm just going to start following weird patterns. And that's all it's going to be. <laughs> so as much as I love Star Trek and as much it was, as it would be amazing to be the personal assistant to Commander, uh, I should say Captain Sulu, um, I don't think I could be a personal assistant to George Takei. Uh, it's just, he is, he is just a little too extra for me, just a little too extra. Um, and I feel like David Bowie is a little bit more <laughs> How would David Bowie be less? I, that's what I want to know. <laughs> In David Bowie's day-to-day, from what I remember, because, again, unfortunately, David Bowie hasn't been with us for a couple of years. Um, you know, from what I see, uh, I feel like, uh, George Takei would be a little too extra for me and I feel like I'd be able to keep up a little bit better with David Bowie. Plus, I really would rather just to spend so much time with the music. That's fair. And and the fact that he played Nikola Tesla. That's fair. Kat, how about you? Um, I would definitely choose David Bowie. Uh, I just think it would be really interesting. I like his artistic style and yeah, it would just be fun to watch that work Aaron. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to go with the group David Bowie. And I, and I think I think Bill's right. Like, um, I mean, we've seen him play these outlandish characters and Ziggy Stardust and Jareth, but I think as an, as a person, he was very um, more, he was much more reserved. And I think he would be really cool just to see, and the stories I've heard of him as a, as a person and meeting fans and stuff, I would love to have been you know, part of those moments and just, you know, he just seems like a cool guy. So. Yes. David Bowie, 100% for a few reasons. <laughs> number one, the accent. Number two, the makeup tips. Number three, <laughs> the glitter. And that's, that's it. The end. <laughs> TJ. Um, so I, I, I'm going to preface this with I'm a horrible person. Okay. I, I choose George K because I still have a job. Oh, oh. Too soon. Yeah, I, 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 
sister. I'm sorry. All of you would be unemployed. Okay. No, George Takei, Iman at least I'd still be going to work. <laughs> Iman would still keep you around. Yeah. All right. I, I, I was going to say, maybe I, it is too soon for us to bring the show back. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but no, um, honestly, I'd go with George Takei. George um, partly... While I love David Bowie's music, I was never a huge fan of David Bowie. I, I liked his stuff, but it was I can't name drop anything. But with George Takei, I would get to meet a whole bunch of people that I'm really into. And that's, you know, from my side of the world, that's who I'd work for. Fair enough. Uh, honestly, for me, it'd be George Takei just because you guys all said it. The, the sheer amount of glitter, and I'd probably be dead by now because of it. <laughs> I would either inhale too much and die, or I would just lose my mind and just, I'd be coming home every night and just scrubbing my skin raw. And it's just, it's problematic. And if you were, if you were an assistant to George Takei, you could just be dunking on Shatner all day long right now. So, and there's that too. (laughs) I think that's worth it. I, I think that's so well worth it. So, all right. Well, why don't we kick off this episode in earnest? Um, so what the way that we always talk about a lot of these topics is our introduction to a lot of this. And I think this one is going to be a little bit different for a couple of us, possibly. Um, but this one, as and I really want to preface this because we talked about this with body positivity and such, that some of the conversations could go into areas that are uncomfortable because we're still going to be talking about like uh, this you know, maybe our family lives at the time or what it was like for any of us growing up and trying to figure out who we were as people and dealing with bullying and things like that. And I know that can be, you know, a really, you know, sensitive topic for a lot of individuals. So, uh, but, um, you know, do you guys all recall when in your lives that you first learned about queer lifestyles? And there's a lot more to unpack about that, but I mean, I think that's a good place to start. I mean, but maybe some of the things that you can kind of think into this and maybe add to your thoughts are, were these moments something surrounding pop culture or was this more, and, and if it was, how was it perceived by the public at the time? Um, Jada. So I grew up in, uh, I would say probably a less than tolerant environment when it came to um, LGBTQ or queer lifestyles in general. The first, I mean, I can recall people, especially like my parents' group, like my aunts and uncles, my parents, other people of their age using words like the F word. And I'm not using the word fuck when I say the F word, because I I don't think that that's appropriate to say, but I remember them saying that about gay men. And um, I have very vague memories of like watching the movie Revenge of the Nerds, where there was a gay character, which first of all, let's just glaze over the whole fact that it was totally inappropriate for me to be watching that movie as a child at all in general. Um, Because it's super problematic, and that's one of, Lamar was one of the reasons that it is. Yes, Um, and not even that, too, but hey, you know, non-consensual rape scene, huzzah! (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So, but, you know, gay characters were something to be made fun of, specifically gay men. I can distinctly remember, you know, them being referred to in any number of different, you know, gay slurs and stereotypical things. Um, gay women were not really addressed a whole lot back in those days because it was something that was either like, oh, well, she's a D and, you know, I'm not talking about a piece of a male's anatomy when I say that term. Um, or, you know, it was just something that was either fetishized or completely glossed over, pushed under the rug. Bisexuality, pansexuality, all of that was like, 
what even is that? I didn't even understand what that was at the time because being a child, you're taught like, okay, this is, these are your options. If you're a girl, you marry a man. And if you're a man, you marry a woman. Um, you know, the whole idea of gender nonconforming was not even a thing. Trans people were, again, something probably to be ridiculed and made fun of when I was a kid. Now, I wasn't the one doing the ridiculing, of course, but, you know, it was something that I remember feeling like, oh, that's not right that people are saying those mean things. And as I got older, I started to realize, like, yeah, that's really not okay that they're saying these mean things. And I was probably in my very early teens when I started realizing that I had attractions to other genders, um, my own in particular, as well as um, you know, at that time it was very binary. So, you know, you talk about like, I had attractions to uh, boys and I also had attractions to girls. And I didn't really know what to do with that information. At the time, it was kind of one of those like scary things because again, I grew up in a less than tolerant environment. So I just kind of was like, oh, well, you know, I have attraction to boys and that's kind of, that was most of the representation that I had seen at the time and what I kind of grew up with. And I started dating my now husband at a very young age. We were 16 and 18 when we started dating and we're now happily married for 15 years and together for nearly 25. Um, but in a lot of ways, I almost let my hetero passing relationship kind of erase my bisexuality. And it wasn't until I was in my late, I would say mid to late twenties. It was after we were married. So probably 25 and on that I really started being able to feel comfortable expressing that. I had attractions to women and even acting on the fact that I had attractions to women and other genders. Um, I refer to myself as bisexual. I believe that that means that I'm attracted to my own gender as well as others. Um, I don't really think about it in binary terms at all. To me, it's not about that. It's just, you know, people kind of equate bi and pan of around the same way. Um, for me specifically, I was bi before pan was a thing. So that's why I still kind of identify that for my own self. Now, I'm a mother raising a pansexual teenager, so that's interesting, and we have conversations about that a lot. So um, uh, my daughter came out to me about two years ago, and she also came out as genderqueer. So she still uses she, her pronouns, but it's something she kind of is, she plays, she says she's chaotic. So <laughs> she plays a little fast and loose with it. Um, and she may eventually start preferring to use they, them, and that's fine. It's whatever she feels is right for her or whatever they feel is right for them. And she's always our child and we'll love her as she is. So that's my story. <laughs> How have you all been doing? <laughs> uh, teach. Um, okay, so I'm gonna preface this with, uh, I am a uh, cis white man. Uh, so from a conservative family when I was growing up, uh, at least on my mother's side, she was very protective, very, this, uh, like Jada watched Revenge of the Nerds, that never would have made it in the house. Um, uh, but so my first real exposure to the idea of the queer community was my stepfather Richard um, he came home he was complaining to my mother um, about two guys he worked with I'm just gonna call him John and Jay because I don't it's been 30 years I have no idea what their names were uh, Jay was complaining about John because John was gay and he was pushing Richard to the point where he was going to have to do something 
And from Richard's point of view, he was going to fire Jay because John was a great worker and he wasn't doing anything. Um, and when I asked my stepfather what, you know, why he was upset about John, uh, why Jay was upset about John being gay, uh, Richard said that Jay thought it was wrong. And I said, well, is it? And he said, no, what do you, who cares what they do in behind closed doors? As long as he doesn't try to kiss me and he works well, I'm fine. That was my introduction to the gay community, the queer community. Um, it was, I guess, very 80s in, it was kind of tolerant and kind, kind of wrong all at the same time. Um, yeah. So, uh I, when I finally hit high school and um, college is when I really started, we had a couple, I had a couple of friends in high school who uh, I grew up in Boyertown, which uh, is right on the edge of the conservative part of Pennsylvania. And there were two guys I knew who, as soon as they graduated and went to college, one of them came out as bisexual, the other one came out as gay. And the only person that was surprised was the music teacher. Uh, uh, yeah, I was confused by that too, Jada. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, music department, get on, get on your stuff here. Let's go. Right. Um, the the guy who came out as gay actually had a party and made an announcement, and was very upset when no one was surprised. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, so from there it was simply finding out and I always looked at it as, okay, who cares? Yep. Yeah, it's fine. I don't, I don't care. You know, as bad as the second part of my stepfather's sentence was, the first part is I don't care. You know, if you're a good person, that's what matters. And that's what my philosophy has been so uh, that's Aaron, my story <laughs> uh you look like you were ready to dive in uh yeah so i actually have a very like you know those like memories that like are kind of burned in your mind for some other reason this is burned in my mind because i remember exactly where i was and i can see my bedroom and everything but like so it must have been like second grade because i was younger and uh, we had just come home from seeing Cats. My parents used to take us to the touring shows. Um, and my, I remember my mom and dad putting me to bed and my father going, oh, well, you know, most of those guys on stage are gay. I don't know where that conversation came from. I just remember this happening. And I remember asking, well, what's that? And, my dad, and I remember my dad saying, well, you know how your mom and I love each other? I said, yeah. And I, she, she said, well, this would be if two men love each other. And I was like, oh, okay. Like as a kid, you're just like, okay, that's okay. That makes sense. Um, and that was, you know, my parents were always very tolerant of everything. I, I was very lucky to live in a very um, forward thinking household when it comes to sexuality, race, creed, you know, anything like that. Um, and then growing up, I was in the theater. So a lot of my guy friends were gay. I had the distinction of dating a lot of uh, my friends boyfriends in the in high school uh, you know have since come out and have wonderful husbands now because at that time when I was in high school you didn't come out um it was a smaller community 
uh, unfortunately, like in the very red part of New York, a little conservative. <laughs> so, um, but I remember being in college and starting to realize that I would identify as um, bisexual as well. I was starting to have feelings for women, but I was terrified to act on it um, just because I had seen how my guy friends were all ridiculed in high school. Um, the only women I knew who were lesbians in high school was like the gym teacher or the very butch you know, softball players and stuff like that. So I never understood, like I, I couldn't find myself in that situation. So I really didn't feel comfortable until I was in my late thirties. I mean, 38 now, I think I came out three years ago, two years ago, TJ, I can't remember now. Um, <laughs> but I remember, I remember coming out to my mom and I'm like, you know, something really important I had to tell her. I had to tell her I was bisexual. And she was really confused because I am married to a man. And she was like, well, is this going to, is this going to change anything with you and TJ? I was like, no, I just want you to know this is who I am. And she was like, oh, okay. That's okay. We're good. <laughs> I think she just, she just didn't want to lose TJ as a son-in-law because she <laughs> loves him so much. <laughs> um but it it took me a while to realize that I had been waving the flag of support for people. Sorry, I'm just getting teared up talking about this. I'd been waving the support flag of pride for so long for my friends and fighting for it for so long that I had not ever been comfortable fighting for it for myself. And I really, actually, the fact that I have you guys as friends and such support with you guys. And Jada, you are a very big role model in this as well because you wave your flag very freely and seeing that and seeing that you know it just it helped me come out and be the person I am so thank you for letting me be who I truly am I love you so much and um honestly I'm like getting a little teary-eyed here <laughs> sorry I didn't mean to get no, very sappy but I it's okay it were as as Bob said this is yeah this is about pride this is about pride and not just about what we hope to for things to continue to progress to, but pride for ourselves and the people that are involved in putting this show together. So honestly, um, everybody should be able to be comfortably able to express themselves and, but you're around all good people to be able to do it. So don't you're in safe space. Yourself. And, yeah. and my husband, I have a wonderful, amazing husband and a couple of weeks ago, I was having an awful they just just kind of going through with with COVID and being quarantined and I went out to the store and I came back and I don't know if you guys can see this but I'll explain it um on my window my husband took paint and painted the pride flag on my office window and a big love is love so yeah so having a significant other who supports you 100% is huge as well <laughs> that is awesome TJ Though I did paint the sign the wrong way. You can't read it from the street. You can only read it from the office that we're in. It's like, I can oh, read that it from really my office, and that's all that matters. <laughs> it's like, whoops, my bad. You're, you're also like, you know, seven floors up, so I don't no think anybody's going to see it from the street. <laughs> Everybody can see it from the street. <laughs> uh, Bill. So, um, this is very interesting thinking about this because I remember 
I remember now thinking about it vividly what my first experience was. Um, and just to give you a little background, I grew up in a very Catholic household um, with some pretty Catholic parents and very Catholic uh, family, extended family. Uh, so all of that was very, you know, any kind of queer lifestyle, gay, lesbian was just very frowned upon. And no, you know, this is something that you, you don't do. Um, and I don't know if it was sparked by something like around the time of when the Ellen episode, when Ellen came out on national television in her uh, episode, um, but I thought that one of my best friends at the time, I thought that he was gay. And I know I didn't feel anything about myself at the time. I still thought, you know, I'm just, you know, he's just one of my best friends, but I'm afraid that he is like, and I was afraid for him. I was like scared. I'm like, why is he this way? And why do I think he's this way? And what's going to happen to him? And I shared it with my mom and I broke down in tears and, was just so, you know, afraid of what this meant for things. And really, I mean, whether he is or he isn't, doesn't mean anything. He was still one of my best friends. Like, um, and yeah, I just, I can't believe at the time looking at it, how my upbringing shaped my reaction to it. Whereas nowadays it would have been like, oh yeah, okay, that's fine. Like no, no emotional reaction to it whatsoever. Besides, for does he need support? Is his family coming? You know, is his family disagreeable to this? Like, you know. But I was just basically, I guess, in fear for his immortal soul, um, which then brought me into into high school, and um, I still had like I had a string of uh, you know heteronormative relationships. And then I finally had my first non-straight relationship and it was a very strange and weird time for me. And I don't know whether or not I was kind of being pushed out of the closet to an extent. And I'm still not really, I want to say if there's a scale of like, you know, from straight to gay, I'm kind of more on the mostly straight side, but yeah, I could go the other way sometimes. Um, but I am, happily married right now so ha happily married to a woman um but i had a very interesting experience in high school and i don't know it's i i don't know how to better explain it i don't have as much detail around all this as some of some you know some of you others here but my upbringing definitely uh in the strong catholic upbringing was uh kind of played into what I thought about relationships and queer lifestyles and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I came up, I had a similar upbringing where it was pretty Catholic, uh, Catholic school all throughout everything like that. Um, I do think my experience was somewhat different, weirdly enough. Um, I started getting into anime when I was like around 10 years old. And actually, that's where I first saw my represent, like representations of queer characters as like, you know, Sailor Moon had two girls in love. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, and so that kind of normalized certain things where it wouldn't be as like, because, uh, you know, when you heard adults talk about it in 
family circles or whatever, it was just always a joke. It was either a joke or it was like, it was like, oh, haha, gay person. Or it was like, oh yeah, they're this, you know? It was never taken seriously and it was just never a normal thing. So seeing some of that early on, I think really helped because a lot of my, I actually had quite a few friends in high school who were, and I had a couple people come out to me and, you know, I was also really heavily into geek circles, um, theater department, stuff like that. So, I mean, like it was, but, and some, even in a Catholic school, some of them were out, but a lot of them weren't because Catholic school. Um, I remember it was a huge deal during uh, senior prom because with Catholic school, you can only go with, <laughs> because I didn't mean it sucks for people who aren't in a, like, you know, weren't in a hetero relationship too, because you can only go with a member of the opposite sex. You can't go by yourself and you have to go as a couple and it had to be a member of the opposite sex. So I didn't go. <laughs> wait, wait, so like two Questions. friends couldn't even go together? No. Like two girlfriends? Well, you like could, not like, you like, could. like, like your be- it, you and your best friend couldn't just best go? Best guy friend, yeah. You could go with your best guy friend, not your best girlfriend. So like if I didn't have a date and you didn't have a date, we couldn't just go like as nope. to get, that's nope. awful. <laughs> Jay, you want to jump in? I have questions. Wait, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. only go with a member of the opposite sex. I thought the the Catholics were all about like abstinence and not wanting. Like, they were, but they also didn't want you to appear as a gay couple. <laughs> so oh, Catholics, they, you're so yeah. crazy. And you couldn't go by yourself either. Like you had to buy it as a, you had to go as a couple, as a heterosexual couple. I'm like even if it was with a guy, like I would have had to go with a guy friend, and I just thought the whole thing was stupid. And I had too many gay friends at that point. And I was like, and, eh, no, you know, you screw right. senior prom. That's stupid. <laughs> but I mean, I think like a lot of that, um, you know, kind of colored my, I don't know. I kind of colored my view on things. Um, for a long time, I didn't really stop and explore my sexuality because I mean, I got with, like, I got together with Rob when I was 18, like. You know, I didn't really stop and think. And like, I had tons of girl crushes over the years. And it was always that caveat of girl crush, girl crush. Like it just kind of diminished it, but it was, it was a crush. (laughs) So it took me a lot longer to realize like, oh, wait a second. I don't think I'm as straight as I think. (laughs) It's difficult for those who are serial monogamists. Yes. And I didn't date a lot before Rob either. So I like really had just minimal experience in general. (laughs) So it takes a bit longer because you're like, do I even fit in here? Do I? But I mean, your feelings are your feelings. And I think whatever that is, is valid. Jess. Yeah. So also grew up very Catholic, (laughs) Catholic squad. Um, Yeah. Right. So like, when I was grow- also I grew up in theater like I grew up in community theater from the time I was a very young child so it was there queer lifestyle was around me and my parents were typically of the mindset that like you know accept everybody we have no problem with it but at the same time it happens to other people you know that's that's for other people um 
So there were very mixed messages, especially when you go to Catholic school and you get religion class every day and you hear all these, all these things about how it's wrong. So I couldn't really pinpoint one time when it was first introduced to me. It was just kind of always there. But like I said, something that happened to other people, not something that happened within our family. So it took me a really long time to be aware of some things that I probably should have picked up on sooner. Um, I have a, a family member who has lived with their same-sex partner for literally as long as I've been alive. And I was in my late teens when I connected those fucking dots. <laughs> because it was not spoken about in my family at all. It was very hush-hush. So It's their good friend. Good friend. They're, they're just friends. They've lived together for 30 years and they're just friends. It's fine. Um, so that's kind of how it was introduced to me. My, my family, my immediate family, my parents were always, always taught acceptance. Uh, but I, I think it would have been different if it had been someone immediately in the family. And that's kind of hard. That's definitely hard to, to grow up in. Um, but I had a really great support system in the theater, uh, love theater, loved a lot of people. Catholic school was rough because you didn't really come out in Catholic school. You didn't really do it. I think I knew one kid in my year who came out as gay. And it was, you know, a, a not kept secret. Like it was hush hush, but he was open about it. And there was, you know, that's the one gay kid because this is a Catholic school. Um, so, you know, a lot of mixed messages growing up. Um, I also met my husband when I was very young. We met when we were 14, and we started dating when we were 17. So, you know, that just heteronormativity is kind of pounded into you um, from all sides. So that's my story. So to jump on your story, I know where you went to school. Correct. And <laughs> we certainly had some male members of the chorus who were very gay. Even though they may not have come out in within, you know, in school, they were well aware of it. We were all well aware of it. And the choir director, who I'm not sure if we're thinking about the same person, but she was very much like, she had a very big discussion with us. She's like, this is not something to talk about. And very like... Oh, know, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, very fire <laughs> and brimstone. This is not something that happens in this school, in this choir. And I was just like, seriously? Get off! Be done with this. It was terrible. It was awful. And you know, there should be no more, no place more accepting than you know, in choir or in theater or something like that. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's just we we were all there. We were all there to express our love of music, and you were boiling, you know, putting something else on us there, and it just it was wrong. Yeah, it's constant in Catholic school. It's just absolutely constant. I'm also familiar with your school. And mine was similar <laughs> because I had cousins and family that went to your school. And I knew actually quite a few kids who were, but they weren't, or they weren't publicly out. Like they were out with their friends and that's about it. Yeah. And it was very similar at my school too, because usually the kids who were, were someone out. There was maybe like two guys in my entire school that were out and like, broadly but yeah 
it's just with Catholic school, you have all these messages of, no, it's wrong, like all around. So make it up. Um, very, very similar to my experience. It was when I was in my teens and I was doing uh, dance, theater, and color guard that I really just came to understand and like just the acceptance because there, the, the one gay kid in my school, and we were friends since the eighth grade, um, he was involved in all those things with me. And um, then a few others started coming out and two who stayed in the closet until college and then dated each other. So, but even then it was more so like, it felt like safe space for gay culture in that microcosm of our high school, which was still very, I went to a very large high school for um, our community. And it was still like, you know, kids very much got picked on. I can remember actually saying that I was going to use my butt end of my rifle to smack some football players who were kind of tormenting our one out gay friend. Um, and there was not, I think there were two, there was one who was a senior my sophomore year and one that was a year ahead of me. Um, and it was very well known that if you messed with any of them, that the entire color guard would kick your ass with all of our color guard equipment. And we meant it. Um, but it wasn't until probably after high school that I really started accepting that in myself. Aaron, you want to jump in? Yeah, uh, no, it's just, I find it really interesting because like we run the gamut of ages on this group. Um, I think Jada might be one of the oldest, you know, and then, and then me, but then, <laughs> and Jess, I think is the baby. And I know Jess is about 12 years younger than me. And it's so funny because I was thinking, I was like, no, you know, it was like, I remember in school, like people starting to be, be comfortable with their sexuality a little bit. And that was starting to get not, not, I don't want to say it was okay because people were still picked on and people were still, but like, I remember Ellen came out when I was in high school. So it started becoming an okay thing, but you guys all went to Catholic school. So that I, th those ideals that should have been 12 years down the line and should have been more accepted probably weren't. So that makes me sad. <laughs> I also just wanted to say really quick that I, because yes, I'm the baby, but um, I grew up during a time where, especially in, in high school, like people started using gay to mean like stupid. Oh, that was a huge thing in the eighties too. That oh, was yeah. a huge thing was a when huge I was thing. in. Yeah. So like, I'm surprised that it was prevalent it was when you were in high school. Still very a thing and very prevalent. Was, yeah. So people to be wow. like, oh, oh, that's so gay. I can you remember know? that and like, like being in elementary school I and people saying that. Fucking mm -hmm. hated it. Yeah. Um, so that was also prevalent. I mean, Ellen had come out in the late nineties. So like we were kids, we didn't really have anything like that when I was like in middle school, high school during those formative years. Yeah. I mean, for me, like, you know, um, cause I know we jumped around all over, so I was going to jump into mine and then I'll roll into the next, that point kind of, cause that kind of rolls us into that topic. But um, you know, for me, and it kind of piggybacks off of that, like for me, I was not in the normal frame of people, um, you know, growing up. I was not interested in sports. I, again, this is going four for four in the last people that really talked about stuff, but I also went to Catholic school growing up. It's like from like K to eight, and then I put it as I, I, made, I made my own decision to not be in that anymore and went to public school from there, but uh, during that time, though, the people in the schools that I was around, I did not fit in their dynamic at all. Uh, so I got picked on quite a, quite a bit. And like, Jay, you know, Jada, you mentioned early on, like, 
a lot of, you know, like homosexual slurs, they were aimed at me like nonstop. That was like a normal common thing for me. So I fought back against that pretty heavily, trying to kind of just break out of any way that people were trying to put me down was a huge big piece for me in my lifestyle. And I didn't get what that meant. And I think I even probably had to ask my father or my mom what those phrases meant. And they probably framed them in some way, shape or form. But again, this is also talking very early 80s. And we talk about early 80s culture and a way that a lot of that is, even if you were okay with it, it's TJ, you mentioned like, you know, like, it was still kind of totally, it's like, oh, it's fine. As long as I'm not involved in it, or they don't come near me to do these things with me, you know, it was also when it was talked about, it was like you would see like the limp wrist and they would be talking about in that very effeminate, like, like for like gay males, like that very effeminate kind of mocking tone. And that's the way it always was. So you kind of get that ingrained in you really early on. Um, and for me, I feel like, I don't know what that was like uh, really thinking about, because I guess a lot of those years were just really rough to be around a group of people that you're kind of like, especially in the schools that I was in, it was such a small school. So you were with those same people from K to eighth grade. You didn't change that group of people. It was that exact batch. Catholic school. Yeah, exactly. So you're talking about like, if you didn't get along with those 30 to 40 people, guess what? The next eight years ain't going to be great. Um, And that's what it was like for me. It was just, it was, you, there was no changing that. The moment that you had a target on your back, it stayed on your back. And, you know, it was, it was just a really negative place to be. So again, when you fight against something like that for so long, you really don't know how that's going to impact you in the greater scheme of your life. You know, going to public school, you know, like you said, you're opened up to a really wider world very quickly. Um, you know, like I remember like walking in those doors and being kind of like, oh my God, there are probably about seven or 800 kids in my school, my class alone and not alone, just the school, you know, it was terrifying to have your eyes open that dramatically. But then you really quickly kind of were just introduced to so many walks of life that kind of contradicted everything you knew so far at that point, which was great. Um, it was really wonderful to see when the way all of those pieces kind of changed and you were able to start undoing the biases that you're kind of fed as a kid which was really kind of awesome. I mean, I think a lot of children don't have them inherently, but I think it's when you start getting a lot older in life and they can continuously get beaten into you, I think is when people kind of slip into some really negative places or can, you know, where you see it like past the ages of, you know, college and such. But I think a lot of times, most of us here have all can state that we were thankfully in places where we could see from like our, you know, later grade school years and high school years based off of all of our ages. But for the most part, everybody was really open and cool about just about everything. And I think it was our generations on this call that really saw that swing in a wildly different way. You know, I think our parents' ages are where you start seeing, again, they were okay, but as like we've stated from several of us at this point, there was still that little twinge to it, though. It was just kind of like, it's cool, but here's the caveat. You know, it's funny, though, like I... Just again, like other people outside of the Catholic school angle also did theater. And for me, my theater stuff was doing Rocky Horror outside of school. So I was thrust deep into the LGBTQ like, pool very early on in my life. Like I got introduced to Rocky Horror at the age of 15. Um, I think I was not properly supposed to be there, but I was there for a convention. <laughs> I went to the vault in New York City at the age of 15 years old. 
not supposed to be there, but I was there for a Rocky Con, so they let me in. So I sold my first professional dungeon at the age of 15. So you're very much like kind of like, yep, yeah, I'm pretty much open to dealing with or being able to handle anything that's thrust at me at any point in time at this point in my life. So, But it, I think it was really cool, though, because I was around so many of those people. I had a lot of awesome folks to constantly be around that it really undid any of the negative aspects I would have thought prior to. And it got me to that point where I was just kind of like, no, I generally just don't care about people's perceived notions of a lot of things with sexuality. Um, you know, for me, like I said, you know, I never really like, come out about much, but like, you know, um, you know, I'm very comfortable to say that I'm pansexual. I mean, again, for me, it's usually just because more that I'm quiet is the fact that a lot of the time that doesn't come up. But the fact that I don't bring up a lot of those things because for the longest time, I didn't know what I was or how I kind of fell into anything. Um, and, you know, Kat and I have been together for a very long time and it's been amazing. And we, we still allow ourselves to be able to kind of like grow and figure out, you know, who we are, but it doesn't change the fact that we're still in a very happy monogamous relationship together. Uh, but it's, it's great to be able to still embrace those sides of ourselves and say, you know, this is a really positive thing. And it just adds a great layer to who you are as a person. And I think that's what's been really kind of wonderful about all these things for any of us that have come out or have recently come out or just an ally um, that we all know it doesn't impact any of us in a negative way or a negative light. So, um, but I really, really quick, I do hate to kind of rush us through or forward a little bit, but we are about 50 minutes into the podcast. We have hit <laughs> one one bullet point and only one under point of that bullet point out of the three listed. This is going to be a huge episode. It is. And there honestly, is so I much will to say, talk about. If, I will say if we get really far behind, what I will offer is that if uh, we only get through the first half of the show, that we will come back and next month we'll bring the same cast back and we will do part two of our Pride show. Um, because I think it is worthwhile to do, and I don't want to rush it for to just just to rush it. So, um, but you know, a couple of things that have come up so far was talking about things like Ellen DeGeneres, and I think that's a really great one because I'll kind of start us into this. Was the first representations of queer culture um, is entertainment for me? That was very much that. Um, I remember how huge of a spark that was. In general, um, I mean, this was, I think, if memory serves correctly, about two years before Will and Grace hit. Um, and we were at this place where nobody was really quite sure. I want to say it was, what, 1994? Sounds about right in my brain. Um, when Ellen, like for when Ellen came 95. out? Yeah. It was definitely when I was in high school, so it had to be in, like, 95, 96. Okay. Uh, 1995, I believe. Uh, Will and Grace, I believe it was 96, if memory serves correctly. Um, so that's when that kicks into play, but it's... Uh, um, you know, for us though, it was, what was interesting is that you heard such a loud, you know, group of people that really shut down about that very fast. There was a lot of issues that you heard from networks wanting to drop sponsorship to, you know, like TV guide was made, made a, that a huge deal. And that actually ended up being her final season of that show. The network refused to pick her back up from that moment. Um, and it was crazy because I remember it was such this like cultural shocking moment at that point in time. So it was, it was pretty insane, insane to see, but that was definitely my first big moment I can recall. Kat. Um, I had already like briefly mentioned what kind of had, what my first like big introduction was, but it was mostly, um, 
what was interesting about it though is I started watching Sailor Moon when I was in like fifth grade and what was out in America was the truncated dub and I honestly wouldn't have seen the actual thing if I hadn't like been really into it and I wanted to watch it in Japanese with the subtitles and I went and found like fan subs in like the VHS fan subs in a store up the street from me like because in the American dub version Sailor Uranus and Sailor Neptune who are lovers they make them cousins yeah Rob uh 1997 <laughs> was Ellen I'm sorry <laughs> and yeah so that's really weird um, the very odd uh you know adjustment that they made and as a kid I was like I was watching it and I I don't think um I think I was I had already um and so I had pretty much jumped immediately into the Japanese stuff fast and so like seeing what they did with it as a kid was even like why'd they do that that's really creepy <laughs> because it's, you know, just two characters in love. But one of the other um, shows, actually Rob and I just started rewatching it randomly. I haven't seen it since like I was a kid, but um, they popped it on Netflix and we figured we'd give it a shot with some um, Cardcaptor Sakura. They also truncated that in the uh, dub as well that they aired on American you know, television and they eliminated any concept of queer relationships. <laughs> but it's like a super wholesome show. The characters are like, I think they're all like fourth or fifth grade and really, really cute. But like um, the character's older brother and his best friend are gay. And I mean, it's not like out, out, but it's also like, you know, everything's pretty cutesy, but it's also never, it's made very clear that they're definitely in love. And so that made it a normal thing. It was in the framework of this really cute show where everyone just had crushes because they were all in fourth and fifth grade apart from the older brother and, you know, and, uh, and his friend. But it was, it's really funny because even as we were watching it now, I didn't even realize like it's there, but even with the kids, um, the main characters of the show, like the main character's best friend has a crush on her. Um, the, she has a crush on the older brother's friend and so does her other guy friend you know they have like the older like the older guy crush but like they just kind of brought in queer culture in a really awesome way for 90s which was really shocking um uh, jada i feel like the 90s were kind of a pivotal decade for a lot of queer culture because you kind of were fading out of that, like in the 70s and 80s, it was either you didn't talk about gay people or they were something to be ridiculed and like made fun of um, or go, ew, you know. Um, in the 90s, you also had the backlash of that because there was also um, that we were dealing with the AIDS crisis, so which was happening in the 80s, and we lost an entire generation of gay men in the 80s. And in the 90s, there was all like, you know, the AIDS awareness, the red ribbon campaigns, and all of this was kind of it, it became that became almost a stepping stone of acceptance in the entertainment community um I think so anyway and then you sort of had the reemergence of people coming out and being openly gay whereas you know for generations before in the entertainment industry that was not a thing people did not come out because it ruined their careers Rock Hudson 
was closeted for his entire career up until he died from AIDS. Um, so you look at that and what happened in the 90s, and then you had the resurgence of more acceptance. Um, and a lot of that was due to like the Gen X crew. And you had shows like, I remember staying up late watching MTV's Sex in the 90s, which was like very pivotal. And they talked about queer relationships and queer culture, as well as straight relationships, as well as STDs and preventative measures and things like that. And these were things that were not being taught in a lot of schools. Hello, you Catholic people. Um, and, then, you know, so, and to, you know, people who grew up kind of in sheltered, like I wasn't anywhere near New York City to be able to understand what, you know, gay clubs were or San Francisco or anything like that. I was in, you know, Podunk, Pennsylvania. So for, for some of us, that was sort of like the, oh, this is sort of the gateway to acceptance and understanding, like, this is, this is a real thing that people do and it's an acceptable way to live your life. It's not something to make fun of. It's not something to ridicule. It's, these are just people and they're just living their lives. So why not, you know, we can all accept this and, and love each other and, you know, kind of grow as people. But that's, that's kind of how I see it. I don't know. Um, but yeah, along that time, you also had like Ellen coming out. I think it's funny that so many networks, you know, you're talking about her being dropped by, by the network and sponsorship and things like that. And yet Rosie O'Donnell was daytime television that people were watching with their children up until she came out as well. And I think she came out a couple years after Ellen DeGeneres, but her afternoon TV show was like Koosh Balls and Elmo and, you know, her talking about her cutesy little crush on Tom Cruise of all people. But like, you know, she didn't come out until a couple years after that. Cause I remember people in my high school talking about her show and it was, I think, possibly the early 2000s when she officially came out. But hopefully, you know, that generation building up on, you know, from the Gen X to the Millennials to the Zoomers, I see that they're, you know, I see, at least because I, I'm raising a Zoomer here, but I see a lot more acceptance and I feel like the community is growing in a lot of ways. And you're talking about anime, like my daughter is obsessed with My Hero Academia, which is just chock full of amazing representation of all different people um, I, I'll come home and they're watching anything from like, you know, My Hero Academia to Steven Universe, which has a gender fluid character. Um, and so it's just, you know, we're starting to really see that in a lot of consumable media for kids and then it's okay. And that just, that makes me so, so, so happy. Um, anybody else ready? TJ, do you want to jump in? So my, um, I my parents were divorced and I had two very different exposures you know most of the 80s I couldn't tell you much outside of my what my stepfather told me my father was a little bit more in the um progressive side in that he was I don't care what they do behind closed doors without the caveats so um uh, in in the ninety in the late eighties and the early nineties, I remember, um, you know, there were some comic book characters that started to they started to say were gay or uh, lesbian. Um, unfortunately, it, they were horrible, horrible representations. Um, one of them, I honestly cannot remember the character's name but he was in the global guardians which lasted 12 issues and his defi two defining character traits was he was gay and he had aids 
And if they went a comic without mentioning one of them, somebody had fallen asleep at the wheel. Uh, it was horrible representation. Um, but, you know, we've talked about Ellen. Uh, actually, Will and Grace pre premiered in 1998, uh, the same year Ellen was canceled. So it was, um, so it's a very interesting dichotomy there. The gay woman who came out in the middle of her show got canceled, but you had a straight white, white guy living with a woman, and that was okay. Or you had a gay white guy living with a woman, and that was okay. So even as we were making strides, it was really, really sad strides. Um, for me, a lot of the things that I was into really didn't start making a good difference until the 2000s. Um, they started introducing more gay characters, they, and gay characters were the defining trait wasn't gay. And in the last decade or so, a lot of the companies that you know I was that I look at you know as part of my geek culture have really made strides, and I, I and I think that's good. That we they still have a long way to go, but at least hey. They're they're stepping forward, so. Yeah, and before the end of the episode, we'll be getting into, like, some of the best representations out yeah. there, too, to be able to talk about a lot more of the modern stuff. Um, Aaron, you look like you're ready to go. Yeah, no, I was just kind of thinking as, as we were going through the decades, you know, it's like, I had to look it up, but, like, unfortunately, when you're talking about acceptance and, and stuff, it's, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And, I mean, Stonewall didn't even happen until 1969 that summer so and then you had the 70s and like jada was talking about like you know that's it's a character that especially a, a gay man was a, a a joke um i mean three's company that was his main character it was that he his thing was i'm gay that's why i can live with two women and it was it was a punchline you know but i'm sitting here thinking and trying to like really rack my brain about a good representation that came out of the 90s and actually um i actually met this actor and i thanked him for being a good representation but wilson cruz in my so-called life <gasps> yes he came and talked at my high school or excuse me at my college and he and i talked afterwards and i met him and i and i thanked him because at that point you had had you know, Will from Will and Grace and Jack, and they were very cookie cutter characters at the time. I mean, it was played for comedy, um, but he just like the what they put him through in that show and 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 stuff. I thought was a very good representation, especially for the '90s. And it really that was his character was Ricky, right? Ricky, Ricky. yep. Yeah, yeah, that was a best friend. Um, and now I feel like I have to go back and rewatch that because <laughs> I, think I've, I don't think I've watched it since I was in high school. Oh my God. Me too. Um, but I remember it was everything this. when I was in high yes. school. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I think going off on what TJ was saying, you know, like the, the strides that are currently being made are great, you know, but you also have to represent like the baby steps that got us there. Unfortunately, it does take time. You know, uh, Kat. Um, so I forgot another anime. Because that was what I watched when I was younger. <laughs> but Fushiki Yugi actually had one of the best representations of, and I don't think they really, like, back when it came out, like, we didn't have the terminology we did. But the character in Noriko was, they introduced her as a cross-dresser, but later on, Noriko used him 
And I mean, that was really like a good example of gender fluid, honestly. Um, we just didn't have that terminology at the time. And that was my favorite character. I was like seventh or eighth grade and I adored that character so much. But also it was, um, that character was into men, women, like it, you know, it was a really great representation early on. They weren't a joke. They were just a part of the crew. And so it was nice seeing that. Jess. Okay. So again, as the baby, I'm coming from a frame of reference of the late nineties, early two thousands for when, um, you know, I grew up and was a teenager and stuff like that. So just, just for frame of reference, what year did you graduate high school? So 2009, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a couple of years. So, um, a really large part of what I knew. Well, okay. So to preface the rent movie came out my freshman year of high school. Okay. And that was huge. It was huge. It's all the theater kids talked about the entire fall that year was the rent movie. Um, so that was a really big influence on like me and my friends and for like a whole new generation for that musical, because obviously we were not the very first audience. <laughs> yes. So I went to go see Rent on Broadway when I was 18. So it was right after I graduated high school in 1998. So I kind of was that target theater kid group for that the first time around. So I, I definitely relate hard to that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I always say my spirit animal on that show is Maureen because she's, that, well, that's same. just, it's so me, you know, like you don't understand like boys, girls, I can't help it. Like that's, it's just, it's every, like, <laughs> everybody stares at me or I stare at them. It doesn't matter. So, um, you know, I definitely related hard to that character a whole lot. And I remember seeing that on stage with um, one of my good friends who's also queer and his mom and we're watching it. His mom's kind of like, like she, she was like, she was very cool with like most theater stuff. But again, like, I think she was kind of like also like questioning like oh why should I have brought them to see this or whatever but like it just you know it rang true for both of us in a lot of ways so um yeah it's just funny that you brought that up and I'm like oh yeah that that, that first generation of red that was me <laughs> right so I came in on that second wave and um that was super big for us also I was introduced to Rocky Horror in my like early teens um it Same. was something that like my dad would used to go to the midnight showings and stuff like that so he knows like all the stuff to say um, and my local community theater did a show of that and I went to it multiple times and just, you know, absolutely loved it. Since then I've gone to a bunch of midnight, um, shadow casts at my local theater here. And it's just one of my absolute favorite things because it was just so fundamental for me for queer culture. Because again, I watched Will and Grace in reruns. Um, I watched a lot of those things and reruns and just have a different frame of reference as your as your millennial friend <laughs> well it's okay most of us are millennials still it's okay that's true that's true i'm yeah <laughs> a lot of us are elder millennials in this, in this, <laughs> but we're, we're, we're millennials on the same so. uh, i don't Bill. think jada and i are no, no you we're guys star are wars gen generation yeah you yeah. guys are gen x yeah, no we're, we're not gen x we're star you wars are. generation <laughs> <laughs> I, will not do I like again. hers better. I'm not going to say I'm Gen X. <laughs> I hate to say it. It is, it is truly actually Gen X. Um, it's their 15-year 15 15 year cycles. 
So I disagree. And I, I honestly, like, I don't really think of myself as Gen X, but um, whatever. Uh, that would mean acknowledging the fact that I'm 40 and I don't do that. Hey, I acknowledge that I'm 40. I think it's awesome. I really enjoy the age that I am and the experience that I've gotten through all of this. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, I just don't think it like I never identified with Gen X because I was so young compared to the rest of the people that were Gen X. Like when I think of We're Gen X, very yeah. you know, who are all in their 20s in the mid 90s or whatever. And like that wasn't me. I was like 15. So it wasn't really my experience. I, you know, I, I think I, I identify like I would say we're like Star Wars generation because we're the tail end of one in the beginning. I'm a cuspy in everything, literally. Both is both is my life. Both is good. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bill. I'm going to talk about this as if I experienced it when it first happened on air and not when I actually first saw it because my media experience, you all know how many movies and shows that I haven't seen. (laughs) Um, But talking about like Star Trek Next Generation and Star Trek Deep Space Nine when they first ran uh, and some of the representations of queer culture they had in those, uh, those episodes so very few episodes because Gene Roddenberry was very resistant to it, even though he was directly approached by people from LGBTQ publications that said, hey, we want representation. He's like, mm, yeah, probably not. Um, you know, he just didn't want to cross that bridge. Uh, but again, with things like DS9, they, um, well, backtrack a little bit. Next Generation had a very interesting episode, which uh, on second viewing comes off as very a very bad representation, but at the same time, it is a representation nonetheless. It was about a, uh, a species, an alien species that only had one gender. Uh, they were only... Um, I'm I'm trying I'm blanking on the episode. I'm just saying they only had one gender and they weren't really supposed to be male or female. Yeah, they were non-binary. Right. Yeah. And one uh, one of them comes out to Riker, of all people, the crazy, unfortunate, uh, yeah, the manho that he is, um, who's like you know she's like I'm a female and I'm attracted to you and then at the end of the episode she goes back to her people who found you know found her out and they said this is wrong and we're going to subject you to therapy to correct the issue um so the wrapping up the episode was a very dirty way to wrap up the episode and uh in retrospect is not a very good representation of what should be talked about um but it was still a good ex- you know good exposition there so uh tj um, I don't think it was supposed to be a good representation of the, uh, of the, of being bisexual or uh, asexual or non-binary or anything like that. I think it was supposed to be a, a repudiation of the, uh, I guess, you know, trying to get rid of that aspect of the culture they destroyed this woman's personality um simply to make her fit in with society and i the way Riker reacted at the end i always looked at that as this disgusted him and it shouldn't have been done but that might just be 
it's oh, been a few years since I watched the episode, but from looking back on it now, now I don't think it was, I don't think the episode was supposed to be about the, you know, non-binary part. I think it was about the force of the choice. So. I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this because Ben is also on this call or, you know, on this Zoom thing as our producer, but uh, the Orville did a really good version of that story. Yes, they did. As, yeah. yeah, and where it, they're all born male and they're supposed to be, you know, uh, attracted to male. And you had the one story where he, the, the one who was coming in was attracted to a female and that was a huge no-no. Uh, on their culture and also they had a, a child and it was born as a daughter and they had the choice to let the child live as a daughter or to have the surgery and Bordis, I believe wanted her to stay as is and the husband was the one who kind of forced the surgery to change the sex to a male so it was that was a very interesting take on that original storyline Kata wasn't the spouse themselves also born female but had the conversion surgery i believe yes. so yeah you know what's funny is um i've actually had a lot of friends in the queer community who are trans who are really did not like how that was portrayed because it still brought gender down to parts and for them it, it kind of devolved a little bit from there and they're like eh, you know as much as i like the show and i see where they were trying to go with it a few people that i'm friends with really did not like how that was portrayed so you know it's it can kind of go both ways and no, I'm I can, I can, right no, I can under, I can understand that, but I think also to hit an audience, sometimes you need to pull it down to that because so, that's how some people view it. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. you know, they don't view it as a whole person. They view it as that's what makes you this part. This part is what makes you this, you know? Yeah. And <sighs> well, I think we will be able to unpack that a lot more after the break. Um, we actually have to do that now because we're already um, an hour and 10, actually, sorry, an hour and 14 minutes into the episode. Oh, I was um, going to talk more about DS9. Yeah. <laughs> you would like, you can open back up with DS9 discussions I mean, if you would all, like. All I'm just going to say, Dax. Dax and Garrick. Yeah. I never That's finished DS9. Okay. I never saw it. All right. Um... So real quick, um, just to give everybody a quick heads up. So as we head into break, it's going to be a little unlike our norm. Uh, we actually have a couple members of our friend group, uh, some people that are members of the podcast network and such uh, that are going to chime in about what it's like for them as far as, you know, being somebody that's queer and part of geek culture. So we thought it's a little bit different. So it's a little bit of an extended break than our normal. But uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about problematic tropes and the LGBT, uh, you know, well, the problematic LGBT tropes in entertainment. And then uh, we'll see how much further we get beyond that. So um, I'm not going to promise anything else because we have a whole hell of a lot more show to go and uh, not enough time to do it in. So, all right. But with that, we'll be back in just a few. Greetings, Caffeine Crew podcast audience members. This is Damon. You may have heard my voice previously on Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, also on the Next Level Network. I'm delighted to be a part of Caffeine Crew's LGBTQI podcast and to celebrate Pride Month here in June and to discuss my pansexuality. I couldn't tell you an exact date when I knew I was pansexual, but I kind of had a bit of a cheat. 
You see, when Ellen DeGeneres went on the air on her television show and came out as gay herself, there was a news broadcast downtown at the university, and my older brother decided he was going to tell the world that he in fact was gay by going downtown and, and they recorded him. And so my family and the entire world found out pretty quickly that he was in fact homosexual. It's kind of a bit challenging because we both grew up in near rural Nebraska, a town of a thousand people. No stoplight, got a bus to a school 20 miles away, like graduating class was like 165 people. Pretty tiny scene. You couldn't really be out very comfortably in a lot of situations, especially in high school, because people didn't really accept it well. And to be honest, my brother was ridiculed. He was picked on on a regular basis. It ended up really kind of altering his trajectory in life. But I was very determined to maintain who I was, though I still stayed basically in the closet through most of high school. I got out. Six months later, I realized I was holding so much of myself in, I just came right out. And my friends accepted me because at the time I'd happened to engender and grow the right kind of culture and background to support that. It can also be really challenging being pansexual because a lot of situations it's difficult for someone who is monosexual, like a heterosexual individual or homosexual individual, to understand that you can be attracted to different genders, gender identities, and spectrums, and it's completely normal. I really appreciate how the geek culture has started to really embrace the LGBTQAI spectrum and give us all the level of representation and, and acknowledgement that we all crave and desire. That validation is so important. Uh, there's a lot of streaming services that are beginning to see the value in that, like Netflix, for instance, uh, doing streaming shows like Voltron, the legendary defender that has a gender neutral character and like Shira, which is normalizing same-sex relationships and, and really bringing that to the forefront in geek culture. And I, I really appreciate that because it helps bring us closer to that validation and representation we all deeply crave and love. Thank you to the Caffeine Crew for letting me uh, voice my, my presence onto this podcast and be a part of the Pride episode. And then thank you very much for being a champions and warriors for such an important part of our community and representing us. Thank you again. So up until my sophomore year of college, in my conscious mind, I was straight. I had been with my boyfriend, who is now my husband, since we were sophomores in high schools. And we grew up in a really conservative, kind of backwater town, so there wasn't a whole lot of representation. There was the one out gay kid, TM, who I was friends with, but he was a gay boy, and that wasn't what I was, so it didn't occur to me that I was anything other than what I had been exposed to. When I got to college, I joined the anime club and met one of my best friends who was a lesbian. I had only ever seen her date women, so again, I didn't see that as myself. After all, I had only ever dated people of the opposite sex and gender. So even though I was much more aware of alternative sexualities, I still didn't see myself as being part of that community. The wild thing is that all the characters I loved the most and had fantasies about were women. Hermione, Misty, Sailor Mercury, Cassie from Animorphs. But since I didn't see myself as queer, I labeled them as girl crushes, or I wrote it off as, oh, I want to be like her kind of thing, not I like her kind of thing. But I was also almost exclusively consuming fan art and fan fiction where the focus was on female characters. And I still just did not get it because I was in a heterosexual relationship 
and had only ever imagined myself as straight because that was all I ever saw in the media, in movies, in entertainment. That was it. And then my friend, who I thought was a lesbian, hooked up with a guy. And I was like, wait, I thought you're a lesbian. And she was like, I also sometimes like dudes too. And I was like, wait, that's an option? <laughs> Mind blown. It sounds so silly now looking back on it, but it literally took someone to directly say to me, some people like more than one sex slash gender for me to realize that I did too. Now, I want to say that I've been pretty binary in my language so far, and that's because little baby queer me also had never met a trans or non-binary person that I was aware of, so I was very stuck in the binary men versus women mindset. Learning more about that and meeting people who were outside of that binary caused several more earth-shaking realization moments. Nowadays, I consider myself pansexual, which to me means that I am attracted to people regardless of their sex, gender, expression, not because of it. But this is why representation matters! If I look back at my preferences and desires, I can see very early on a trend towards inclusive desire, but I had no framework for that. I built my concept of my sexuality on the heteronormative framework that I was given. So one character that I really related to early on in this whole journey was Willow from Buffy. Remember in season three, when they pull alternate universe vampire Willow into the main storyline? Everything about that was goals. I had borrowed the DVDs from a friend and I watched that episode so many times. The leather and the sultry seductive eyes and the casual domination and now that I'm thinking about it that episode may have also had a lot to do with my interesting kinky things but that's a whole other topic anyway so at the end when Willow says about Vamp Willow also I think I'm kind of gay I was like oh my god I'm kinda gay you know? <laughs> and that realization was the springboard for me into so much more. And that is why I think it's really important to consume media that incorporates these kinds of things and why I make it a point to consume more geek culture that has this kind of representation and to like actively seek it out because I want it to grow. I want there to be more of it and I want it to be something that other uh, little closeted folks can have access to. Hi there, this is Sam from the Clockwork Dolls wishing all of you beautiful people a happy pride. I'd like to send a shout out to all of my trans siblings out there. You are beautiful, you are handsome, you are worth it, and you are valid. Our journeys of self began with a step and I'm proud of you for sharing this journey with me. And if you're still afraid of taking that first step, 
that's perfectly okay. Walk at your own pace, follow your own path, and remember that even though our destinations might be different, we're still walking in these woods of self-discovery together. Remember to go easy on yourself and practice self-care. It's easy to get mired down in your journey with those nagging doubts, but that's okay. You're growing and evolving as a human being, and that is beautiful. I love you all. Never stop changing, never stop being your best self, and remember that you are worth it. Stay classy. Trans lives matter. Black trans lives matter. You matter. And we're back. All right. So uh, this is going to be essentially part two of 12 of this episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Settle right, in so, for a long one, folks. Yeah, definitely. Um, I hope nobody has work for the rest of the week because, uh, yeah, at this rate. All right. So um, I guess the best place to dive back in was our, our technically our second slash third bullet point of the entirety of the, of the episode. <laughs> um, which was uh, our thought process about our the problematic LGBTQ tropes that we see in entertainment. Uh, and a couple of things I really want to kind of expand upon with that a little bit is which ones have, you know, culture started veering away from and which are ones that are definitely ones that still linger today. So because there's very much, again, it's a, a two-part piece here. It's not like things are suddenly completely all better. Um, you know, but there are ones we saw in the past uh, that have been fixed, but again, not, not all of them. TJ. The, the, the big one that I always noticed was, and maybe it's just me, whenever there was a gay person represented, they were always just sleeping around. They always had a new boyfriend. They always had a new girl, or, or, or if it was a woman, a new girlfriend. And it was just like, None of them were ever portrayed in a stable relationship. And I think finally you're starting to get away from that where there's more, oh, hey, like in Shira, there was, here are my two gay dads. And nobody commented on it. It was like, yes, this is what we needed. <laughs> uh, and real quick, um, if you see somebody that's throwing up the sign, just uh, let them in if you catch them. Just uh, yeah, this, I'll this point will help. Out. This will this will help. So, uh, for me. Uh, so Jada. Um, well, I think it's important to kind of look also at the history of cinema with that because you always had. I, I remember seeing a documentary a while back, and it was called The Celluloid Closet, and I highly recommend watching it. Um, but the character that they uh, they kind of there was a quintessential character that was always referred to as the sissy. And uh, if you look back at a lot of old Hollywood musicals, old Hollywood movies, I mean, everything from like the 30s and 40s all the way up through the 1960s, there was always that kind of very problematic, effeminate character who was like, he never got the girl. He was always kind of there to be picked on, there to be, you know, tormented by the, you know, heroic romantic leads. Um, so he was there to make the men look more masculine and the women to look more feminine. And you know, a lot of that is, it's very problematic and you still see that today in some characters, um, but there is a little bit more, you know, we're starting to see more characters that are, you know, really just pushing back against that stereotype too. I think Jess wanted to make a point. Yeah, well, that's because the Hayes Code was in effect until 1968. 
So from, I just looked it up because I wasn't sure of the dates. From 1934 to 1968, there was a very narrow definition of what was acceptable in cinema. And gay characters were not it. Mm-hmm. Um, they would be very euphemized. Um, it prohibited a whole bunch of fun stuff, you guys, like a whole bunch of really fun stuff. And it was finally overturned like in the 60s. So that's why like that golden age of Hollywood, Rock Hudson, you mentioned, like that's why this was so kept under wraps for such a long time. There's actually a really cool um, Netflix special that just came out right before this all quarantine stuff hit um, because Netflix is where we've all been living pretty much (laughs) trying to figure out what we want to do. But it's called Hollywood and it's Ryan Murphy and it's almost a what if story. Um, You know, it's, it's in the time of the 1950s, 1960s when this was all happening and it's what if two men came to the Oscars and held hands and, you know, kissed and then what if, you know, then also it's uh, a lot of also um, race relations as well. And that is, uh, you know, in the big what if. But it was very interesting to look at, like, what if this was all accepted back then? And what kind of push that would have made, difference that would have made in culture now? Um, but I definitely suggest watching it. It's not the quintessential Ryan Murphy that everyone thinks of when they think of, like, American Horror Story and the shock and everything. It's really good. It was really good. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Um, Kat? Um, as far as the stereotypes go, I think for the longest time, too, with um, gay males and with lesbians, like, you really only had one type representative each. It was either the butch lesbian, you know, or you had the very effeminate gay male. You didn't have like, it was not a spectrum of different personalities, which is what exists normally. If you did have lesbians that were femme, they were never actually for the woman. They were written for a male gaze. And it, I mean, that's a whole different level of problematic for itself. <laughs> it wasn't about their story. If you saw two lesbians as characters, they would both be butch, which doesn't really, you know. Um, just to piggyback on that, like the complete erasure of, of bisexual people in general, um, but the also super fetishization of bisexual women or pansexual women, um, because again, that was a lot of it was done for what was acceptable to the male gaze. And it was fun and sexy to see two women kissing. But if you saw two guys kissing and then he was also, you know, maybe interested in girls too, it's like, ooh, you know, a lot of people cringed at that. So that, that to me was a really bad trope. Um, another one that God still just infuriates me is the, like, she was lesbian until she found the right guy. Mm-hmm. The chasing Amy. Yes. Yeah. The chasing Amy. Or she was, she was, she was by until she found the right guy and he turned her or whatever. And it's like, that is just so like, oh my God, it just, that is one that I absolutely cringe at. I will say though, chasing Amy actually did turn it back around at the end there. She oh, absolutely, did. yeah. And, and I and always appreciated that. I was like, all right. I see in addition you. to that, though, they even gave a really touching end to that in Jay and Silent Bob reboot, where they actually even have Holden and um, Alyssa are co-parents. <laughs> um, basically, but they're not her, together. Uh, Alyssa really and her girlfriend wanted a, uh, wanted to get a donor. 
they used Holden as a donor so they could have a kid, and they named the kid Amy. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, but basically, it just showed that they were able to just be friends and like, wow, we really screwed this. I, I, and he was like, I really screwed shit up, and I'm sorry. And they found a way to have something positive out of that. So they did course mm-hmm. correct. There was some problems with it, though, because, again, 90s. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think good, good heart, good intentions, message wasn't quite great. Yeah. yeah. There was some execution issues on that one for sure. But Yeah. Um, Bill? I think one of the, one of the tropes is, is that, um, and this has been done to death, is that the gay character or the lesbian character is never the main character, obviously, because mm. you can't best have to be the main own. character, yes. but it is the best friend, yes. And yeah. it's just like, wait, why? Like, why can't they just be the main character? You know, there's even a show now that's like that. And uh, sorry, I didn't mean to pop in no, there. Um, and it's one that I actually really liked. It was the Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist mm-hmm. and her next door neighbor. And that's such a good show. And I feel like they did do a good job with the representation on there. But again, it's very much the sassy gay best friend they or gender queer best friend. In that, yeah, they, in that they still haven't worked it in properly to, you mm-hmm. know, to incorporate what we, we have as a society here. You know, it's still utilizing the tropes for either comedic effect or just for story or plot or things like that. Uh, Cat. Even in a lot of um, like YA books, which tend to be really progressive with introducing queer characters, it's they do the same thing. They're always the side character. It's never the lead. Like you, you know, it's we'll introduce queer characters, but we don't want to give them center stage unless it's a book about their difficulties as a queer character, and it's solely a char- like a you know, it's a poster child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Actually, Chris one of the things that I, that I think the gay community really needs. Uh, so Kristen Stewart and someone else are doing a um, romantic comedy where they're, it's two lesbians, but in a romantic comedy. And yeah. I think that's great because the, the queer community very much needs bad romantic comedies. When those become a staple, it, it, it you know we've come a long way but they need those bad romantic comedies uh jess yeah i was talking more about what cat was saying about young adult lit because that's kind of my jam but um <laughs> in the last few years they really have turned it around quite a lot like whereas when i was growing up you really could only find if if there were gay characters it was an issue book and they were exploring all of the issues of of homophobia and and coming out as like a bad thing. Uh, Whereas now there's a lot of wholesome YA lit that's out there right now that just makes me so happy to see. And also in romance too, like a lot of the more mainstream romance, um, red, white, and royal (laughs) blue, and just, they're just out there now. And I think that's so wonderful. The representation. (laughs) That is like my forever topic because I'm currently veering into writing mostly queer romance. So I'm like... (laughs) it's it's interesting though because there's still a lot of hurdles in place and um publishing so many getting that out there because they really do and there's a lot of buyer erasure too they do not like to mix if you're gonna write queer romance you can't have like you know you can't have a male female couple that is kind of where literature and especially YA is doing a really poor job is like the bisexual representation you get a lot of buy and pan erasure it's not there, and that's just so unfortunate. Um, real quick aside, we were talking about 
uh, queer people being like side characters, but did anyone else watch Queer as Folk? Like I loved the, Queer as Folk. Not the British one, the American one. The yes. Canadian one? The, the one that was out probably when you were too young to be watching What? It. I watched it recently. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was really big in terms of representation. However, I think it's important to say that not all of it holds up today to our terminology yeah. and our standards and acceptance. Um, I was going to actually jump in and say, uh, you know, again, I would agree on the, um, uh, what Jess, what you were saying as far as even for, like, the literary piece, but like even taking that to other areas, I, I generally think that, you know, anybody that's queer being used is almost like a PSA point for an episode. It's kind of like that more you know bullshit mm-hmm. that was just kind of like, oh, this person's gay. And that's the lesson that we were here to tell you today. That was such an overused and brutalized piece. But it feels like it, sometimes they're like, a lot of those characters are still used like that today. I feel like that hasn't changed very much at all. Um, but I, I mean, honestly, there's another one too. We have it on our, our outline and Kat brought it up to me as a reminder, but like it was the whole idea of that burying your gaze, like using them as plot devices or like this character was killed off. Why was this a hate crime, such and such, instead of letting them just be a, a, a focal point of the book or a story or, you know, whatever it may be. And I think it's always really intense, the fact that that one is still really, really heavily utilized now. I kind of wonder if that's a holdover, though, from the AIDS epidemic and people's viewpoints and correlation with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if that was why it became such an overused trope. Like, I mean, it's it's to the point where a lot of, like, newer and more progressive places, like, if you try to bring that in, they're like, nope. <laughs> Um, that was actually the whole killing off of gay characters that goes way back. That's it goes, it predates the whole AIDS epidemic probably yeah. by 30 years as well too, because that was also part of their tragic story is that they couldn't exist in the, in the same society as straight people because they were so other. You had um, to have a moral. Yes. Yes. So the moral of the story was usually that that person who was different, who was queer usually ended up getting killed off if they weren't used yeah, for, that's... you know, other types of plot device, but you know, it's just part of their suffering because they obviously chose this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Well, this gives us a good point for us to actually take only 20 minutes to talk about one bullet point and move <laughs> into the next piece. <laughs> so I'm going to steer this into the next piece because this actually correlates really heavily is, um, you know, how we feel corporations have been handling the expansion of representation of queer culture over the last 30 years. And I really, it's not even 30 years. Like, I hate to even say, because honestly, you know, it's really only been about 25. I mean, the first on-screen kiss, I think, happened in 1989 on the East Enders in the UK. Um, And then after that, there really wasn't a lot of major, you know, motions. Kat? And yeah, the first, um, I guess, major, like, you know, on-network sex scene was um, Willow and Tara and Buffy. Yeah, I mean, like, you saw some things, though, like, definitely during earlier times before that, like, on soaps and such like that, but they were still, it was that very scandalous pieces and, like, things that were used for quick shock value for, like, sweep, sweep, and things like that, but um, it never really came to much. But some of the things I want to make sure that we unpack, though, before we dive into this as a whole, because this is probably going to take a large majority of the rest of our episode um, before we get into maybe um, a big positive piece, but is... You know, what areas of the culture do you all feel that are also, and actually maybe what we'll do is we'll just talk about this on it 
on its head first, then we'll unpack this a bit. Because again, we've talked a little bit about bi- like bi and pan sexuality erasure, uh, but I think there's a lot still to talk about. But also, I think it's important that we get into like the straight wash characters in pop culture, uh, the pros and cons of the push uh, that we're seeing from corporate sides, but also. Um, the areas that are still very underrepresented, uh, underrepresented though, in mainstream culture at this point in time. Um, but TJ, let's kick it over to you. I know you were definitely very much ready to go. Um, yeah, I'll talk about, I can talk about the two big aspects that I'm into. One is a very corporatized, uh, the aspects of geek culture that I'm into. One is very corporate, corporatized in comic books. And the last 10 years, they've taken a lot of really good strides. Um, and then have fallen flat on their faces in other categories. Um, DC has done, uh, you know, Batwoman's a gay woman. Um, Young Justice introduced a gay Aqualad. Um, but then on the other side of the coin, they've totally effed up um, Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn except on the new Harley Quinn television show, which if you're not watching, watch, please. That's hysterical. Um, I will say, but, at least uh, in DC Comics, though, a character that it's really forgotten is Midnighter. He's such an awesome character. No, he's been around in comics. Um, yeah, the problem is bad. they've had a lot of, lot of issues with... Um, Excuse me. They've had a lot of issues with rights there, and I'm not entirely sure where the authority is sitting right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Midnighter and Apollo were some of the was the first openly gay superhero team team in the uh, in DC Comics, and they were treated as a regular couple. It was just Batman and Superman, but gay. Yeah. Um, and I, if possible, Midnighter's more violent than Batman. <laughs> so. Yeah, so is Apollo, but you know, um, but they've been making good strides, and you know, they do want to give them credit for that for at least trying. Um, and then the other side that I can talk about is D. that's less corporate, like, there's no stats out there or books about it, but. Thanks to shows like Critical Role and a couple others, there's been a lot of really good representation in the community now. And when you have it at that high level, it starts to trickle down into lower games. Um, you know, just sitting around our table, I, <clears throat> you know, I know some of the characters I have are going to go in different ways. So, but yeah, uh, Jess is dancing over there yeah i just you're talking about the dc tv shows right yeah a lot of people feel that supergirl is one of the most prominent examples of queer baiting right now um because there is a huge online following for the ship that is kara and lena huge yeah and um they've been kind of playing a will they won't they but they won't really because it's a corporate tv show for quite a few years now doesn't um, she have a sister? I'm sorry. Yes, which Does, is doesn't she have a sister who's gay? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, but like, she's not like part of like the main ship, like the fandom. Of course, she's not. <laughs> right. Yeah, but just because the fandom ships them doesn't necessarily mean it's you know. Th- on the other end of that, Legends of Tomorrow has uh, had because uh, Brandon Roth just went Ray and Nate, 
who was a great example of just two guys who were open about their feelings. You know, Kara, I've always looked at Kara and Lena as the same thing. Right. But I mean, like, honestly, though, there's other great places to look at shows, especially in like Legends, like Sarah Lance is the lead of that show. And she, she is openly, you know, like I said, openly bisexual in that show. John Constantine is openly pansexual in that show. Pretty much everybody in that show is a great representation for an underrepresented, uh, you know, culture in some way, shape, or form, whether it's sexuality or racial in that show. Mm-hmm. And it's such a great blend because it doesn't feel like they're ever pandering about it. They're just writing good characters and just letting those characters be those characters. Um, Aaron, how about you? What are your thoughts as far as corporate over the last 30 years you know it's funny because as we've been talking about this you know and there's and there's hits here and there within like network television but where you're seeing a lot of the leaps um as far as good writing and putting these kind of characters first are things like netflix hulu hbo amazon prime these independent you know channels that technically aren't network television are putting on these fantastic shows led by gay characters. Um, you know, it's just, I, and I think a lot of that is because they don't have to bow and scrape to their sponsors <laughs> and to groups that will write, you know, unfortunately we still have a very large base in this country that, you know, thinks that this is a not right thing that people are doing and will write in. I mean, I remember when people went nuts when JC Penney's had a Mother's Day commercial, I think it was this past year, and it was two moms raising a kid. And of course the million moms, you know, got together and wrote a campaign. And I think the million moms is like actually about five thousand people. <laughs> so it's a very, very bad name. <laughs> but you know, you still have these groups that will still make a lot of noise and unfortunately due to things like social media and stuff they do you know start pandering to a lot of people that way um i'm hoping that in the next couple of years they'll see that you know you're you're not going to lose the kind of viewership you think you are because you put reality out there you know, I hate to tell people this, but this is reality. This is, you know, people like love is love and, and this is what real life is. And unfortunately, there's always going to be some people who don't like it, but you're not. But thankfully, I believe in this country, it's more of a minority that believes that than the majority. So I'm hoping that that's going to start really trickling down to things like network television that's a little bit more wider viewed. I just wanted to say that like, cartoons are paving the way in this right now like the representation that i see in cartoons that are geared towards kids is so great um you've got steven universe you've got adventure time with a canon uh marceline and princess bubblegum you've got catradora from the new she-ra that finally just ended um i was even watching Nickelodeon with my nephews recently and there's a show called The Loud House. Oh, The Loud House is great. We love and that it's one. It's wonderful and the one yes. the one friend has two dads and it's mm-hmm. just part of the story. Like it's not like we were talking about like a moralized plot line or like a more you know kind of thing. It's just in there in these episodes. So like the kids are all right. Yeah. You know, like uh, the- as somebody who's a mom reasons, <laughs> I don't mean to jump on you here, but like I'm, I, I'm firsthand and seeing a lot of this and I just keep thinking, I'm like, you know, 
I, I watched Sesame Street when I was a kid, which was definitely a very progressive and inclusionary show. Um, cause we, we had like three channels. I lived out in the sticks. So I look at the shows that my kids are watching now, like, you know, Steven universe and loud house and my hero academia. And just, it's so much more inclusive. It gives a broader scale of what the LGBTQ community is. And like the fact that like one of my children came out to me before she was even really 11 years old as knowing that she was pansexual and understanding what that meant. I'm like, you know, and she said, you know, like she's, she's experienced some bullying and stuff in school a little bit. And I was, you know, a lot of people are just afraid of that because they don't understand who they are. And the fact that you know who you are at not even 12 years old probably scares the bejesus out of them. But you being as confident as you are, just take that and roll with it. Because the more you know about yourself and the stronger you are in yourself, the less they can touch you. And a lot of it I attribute to the media representation that they are consuming. And it's, you know, there's even just like little minuscule things that they see in every, in the shows that they're watching. And it's just like, oh, well, that's just normal. Sometimes people have two dads. And, you know, my husband and I are very progressive people, obviously, but you know, that's the kind of lifestyle that we're teaching them to accept. And I really hope that that continues because the cartoons and the shows that are geared towards kids are really what normalize things as we become adults. And that is huge. So like, you know, I'm trying to get, push her into reading more of the YA stuff that's more LGBTQ friendly and she's finding it on her own. It's not just the stuff that like we're bringing in, like she's out there, she's like, hey mom, did you read this? You would like this, you would like this character in this webcomic that I'm reading. And I'm like reading it along with her. And I'm like, oh, this is a, this is a trans character. This is a gender fluid character. This is this. And she's like, I know it's awesome. Right. And I'm like, yeah, totally. So um, yeah, it just, it makes my heart very, very happy. And you're right. The kids are all right. They really are. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, that's something that's honestly just to jump piggyback off of that before talking about another point of this is like, I think, What's really amazing about, I think, this conversation that we're having uh, through this episode, and we probably will be having again, as I mentioned, this next episode as well, but <laughs> it's the fact that we're, we talked about how short amount of time has passed. We're talking about 30 years. Most of us are, are, are over 30 years of age in this, you know? <laughs> um, but if you think about that, okay, that's a relatively like very short period, period of time for there to be as much of a cultural shift uh, from a generation to a generation. Um, and the positive thing is, you know, Jada, you're talking about your kids. You know, Kat and I are expecting our first. And uh, you, we're already seeing it exist with, um, you know, basically people that are being, you know, that are in their teens now that are one generation away from, you know, a lot of us is really, they're they're already well ahead of the curve of what society states should be the norm. You look at things that we're dealing with right now in our country, like racial, racial prejudices, and we're so far behind where we should be. But when we're talking about sexuality, thankfully, it feels like this is one area that hopefully this will continue to drive forward at a faster rate um, than we've ever seen in the past. Um, but one of the areas I really want to bring up, though, in what corporations have handled in all of this has been... I think in video games has been really interesting to watch in a relatively short span of time um, because really storytelling in video games is kind of feels like an oxymoron uh, up until about maybe about 10 or 15 years ago uh, where you started really seeing people really put a lot of effort into writing characters and storylines and having a throughput versus little man with armor shoots a whole bunch of uh, like undead zombies or you know, somebody picks up heavy sword, hits person in face. You know, that's really all it felt like it was for a long time. 
But then, like, you got to things like the ages of CRPGs, like Baldur's Gate, uh, and, like, the D&D games that existed, like, um, you know, that ultimately moved into later CRPGs, like Knights of the Old Republic with Star Wars. Also, things like Dragon Age and Mass Effect and Skyrim and, you know, the Elder Scrolls and the way that all of those have moved forward. And we've started seeing a heavier push to having better relationships, but representations of characters that didn't fall just in one you know direction or the other bioware very much especially in this has really done the best job i feel like handling hey well you can have you can play a female character or a male character and have relationships with whoever you want to then they added to that dynamic and said let's make it even more in depth well that character may not be you know just there for you to have a relationship with they could have they could be straight they could be bi you know, they could be purely gay. They could have, you know, you know, their own interests and such. But it was really great to watch them go give it a really better spotlight and then really allow that to grow more and more. So, Kat. I'm just jumping in on the Bioware thing because, yeah, that's been some of the best representation in games I've seen um, with the way they handle relationships and really... Like, especially in uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, they did make that leap that you were talking about, where, like, again, the characters had their own sexualities. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't just here, they're there for you. I mean, even them just having the characters open to multiple in the big, like, earlier things, like Mass Effect, things like that, was huge, because in the past, you're, you were offered male or female, you know what I mean? It was always the opposite gender. Right. Uh, and real quick to kind of add to that just a little bit before I jump over to Jess and that is um, really one of the other cool things is they actually had trans characters in that. Uh, granted, very side characters, but it feels like you can see them, they laid a groundwork, and every time they seem like they do something like that, the next time they have a title, they push another step further than everybody expects. So mm -hmm. the hope is that will continue and we'll see that grow. But gaming, though, especially, especially right now, and I hate to say it, like, Last of Us Part Two came out a mere couple days ago, uh, and how horribly it's getting review re review bombs by people is the fact that there's a social justice warrior agenda because the, there's a lot of work with, you know, having a lesbian character like as a lead and such, and people, you know, unfortunately are pushing back about it in a really negative way. But you can show so how early on video games really are about addressing this. We're seeing it from a very small sect, but I hope we can see it continue on and see larger groups and organizations like people like Sony continue to make a push to let it grow. Jess? Yeah, I was just going to say, it's not as in-depth relationship-wise, but Assassin's Creed has made really big leaps as well. I really enjoyed playing Odyssey. Um, Oh my god, Cassandra was amazing. So I play as Alexios because he's really wonderful to look at, but I also make him flirt with anyone I want to, and I think that's that's really great. Like he's my bisexual disaster son, and I just love playing the game. <laughs> and I just love playing the game with him. Just that sort of inclusivity wouldn't have been even an option. Heck, when I was a kid, you couldn't play a girl in a fucking Pokemon game. Like nope, even yeah. just having that that gender choice is huge for video games. Oh, when I was a kid, we were still the princesses waiting to be saved in the castle. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Samus from Except for Samus. Yeah. Yes. Um, Bill. Hmm. You've been oddly quiet about this piece. Yeah, I uh, 
Well, do you want to do you want to talk about corporations like corporations? Because a lot of them, uh, I feel, are just taking advantage of the situation. They put up, "Hey, here's a rainbow flag for Pride Month. You know, please continue to buy our product." Um, some of them are really trying to push and do more things and and really normalize the fact that you know gay and lesbian people and non you know people who are non-binary are all you know all throughout our culture they they make up you know who we are as a people uh the best things i think are like the campbell soup commercial where it's just like hey casually here's you know two dads um or uh, disney's onward where the one cop who pulls over you know the kids driving the, the van they referred to her and then you know her wife at home like it was very you know very much hey here here's what it is we're not making a big deal deal out of it because it's not something that needs to be made a big deal of it's just something that's here in society and it's accepted pandering um yes well well they are chasing it for the money you know it's still a step in the right direction you know regardless i mean part of the reason not part of the reason a lot of the times on fox news you don't hear a lot about gay marriage anymore and that's because they figured out they could make money off of it so they stop at least on fox news they don't really bad math it anymore you know money's you know if you're gonna sometimes capitalism will accidentally into the right thing um because there's money but that's what's going to drive everything you know and as long as you continue to buy those products that have that representation in it you know um they'll continue to publish them they'll continue to make more of them you know even uh yeah i think that's it (laughs) cat um i mean on the somewhat corporate level but in the book world at least um i feel like ya is making a lot of strides but adult not so much the um specifically i mean i operate mostly in the romance community and I'm very familiar with how a lot of his publishers work. And the thing is, money does run a lot of what gets represented out of LGBTQ. Like, hey, I mean, like, you don't, you see a lot in adult romance, at least. Um, you could go through, like, Harlequin, for example, the biggest romance publisher, um, does not have like under their specific um, submission calls, like for their specific uh, lines, they don't have an LGBT and you can't submit LGBT to them. Theirs imprint is Karina and you would have to submit to Karina if you have an LGBT story. And so you can't submit to any of their main lines that way. And Karina is an ebook first publisher. So again, like there are these barriers that people don't realize in a lot of them and i mean even for example like i'm working on um a trilogy currently that's a lesbian trilogy and i mean trying to find a home for that it's tricky because 
male male is really popular gay male romance um because a lot of women will buy it it kind of can sometimes get fetishized in that community and so there's a huge market for it so publishers are willing romance publishers are willing to put that out but then if you look at like the less like if you look in their lgbt section right it'll be like thousands of male male romance titles and then you'll see oh look there's 18 like lesbian titles there are maybe one transgender title and then there's i mean bi is not even existent because we can't put that yeah exactly we're just erasing that we're taking that from you so I'm redoing the romance section in my store right now. We're moving yeah. it. We're just switching it to a different section. So I am very familiar with all the titles we have <laughs> at, the, at the current moment. I can name maybe three authors who write male, male. I know of one author who does female, female writing. And that's it. Yeah. That's legitimately all that we have represented on our shelves right now. I know, and it's um, it's bad. It's it's, like, it's fairly absurd. Well, and you look at the title that, like, okay, what is the biggest male male romance title that sells? We've both read it. I know Red, you white, know. and royal blue. Yes, Correct. it is, and it is a fantastic book. But that's new Very adult. Good. It's new adult, and even though it's categorized in adult romance, it's still yep. aimed for a younger audience. Yes, we have that's her, and then we have not in through the door. We have Cat Sebastian, is the other one. Okay, and that makes only sense. other one. That's it. I know. And it's absurd. Like the uh, abject lack of representation. I have problem is like a lot of the big publishers love to tout like, oh, look, we have a thing, but it's one thing out of hundreds. Like they have one title out of the hundreds of like heterosexual ones that they just picked up. And they're like, oh, but look, we have this thing. So we're good. Right. And it's like, well, that's not really like making it very inclusive at that point. It's just more like trying to look good in front of a crowd. That's, yeah, that's correct. Uh, publishing has a really long way to go in terms of representation and diversity. They really truly do, especially mainstream publishing, especially your point about Karina being ebook first and often ebook only. Uh, mm -hmm. To find these representative books if you want to find yourself in a book, and I, I firmly, truly believe that everybody has the right to see themselves represented in literature, you shouldn't have to dig into archives or go online only. And it's just, mm -hmm. there's a lot. And way I mean, to go. I work with a couple small publishers that are willing to bend things, like the one publisher. I was, I was worried because I've had publishers turn me down before when I wanted to include a gay like um you know a couple that was gay in a series that had other heterosexual couples and they have outright just turned me down because they won't tell you that's why but that's why because it doesn't fit into their little pocket like you it doesn't market fit into it as their... a or b again yeah. with the bi erasure mm -hmm. because the character in my series is bi and you know he could have gone either way but because he went with a guy, all of a sudden, like now, thankfully, I, because it's a smaller publisher, a lot of times they're, and they're very much more queer friendly. 
Um, it depends on the publisher, but I've had also ones that have turned me down flat, right? Like outright been like, no. So something I wanted to kind of jump in with all that is I, I, I don't know if everybody else agrees with me, but I think, you know, we talk about in here, like the pros and cons of this. I mean, the con of this, honestly, is like you said, and I hate to give like a con to a corporation in all honesty, because a lot of corporations, again, as Bill kind of put it, are kind of, the, they suck. They're, they're, they're pandering there to make a buck is really the truth of it. But what's going to happen in a situation like talking about like books, like Jess, like you're in a place that's, honestly, there should be a ton of bookstores still out there for people to be able to go and buy a book. The, there's going to be a moment in time where places are like, people are going to stop showing up there because they're not represented anymore on their shelves. And that's really kind of a massive con because people love those experiences. Um, you know, if Hollywood doesn't make enough, you know, films that represent the, the people that are going to see them, uh, you know, people stop showing up to the movies. Granted, they're going, not going to the movies for completely other reasons right now. I mean, but still that's, ultimately it's the truth of the situation right now is like this as is just as important as anything else that's going on in our culture and it should be treated as such and if people are not thinking about that then people will look other ways for entertainment netflix is proving right now how much they can do whatever the hell they need to right now to drive viewership to it because they're not under again the same constraints as, as people have already mentioned in this conversation um, they, they don't, they're not there beholden to marketing dollars for a trailer or a DVD sale for Walmart. Um, uh, it, things changed a lot in the last, you know, in this, in a digital age. So it's going to be very curious to see how that kind of plays out, especially, but that's a massive con though, if people, if they're not paying attention to those pieces. Jada. I was just going to say to piggyback off of that though, but like, don't you think that people, that's, what's really going to drive the art of performance industries, of writing industries, of movies, of um, everything is if people aren't being representative, doesn't that, I mean, if they're not finding it in that mass media, hopefully that means they're going out and creating it on their own, that they're writing those stories, they're making those pictures, they're making those films, they're, you know, creating those comics, they're doing what comes out of their brain. It's actually funny because I'm thinking of my 12 year old who sits upstairs and draws her, you know, original characters into her little anime things that she's creating. And I'm, you know, it just, it, that's the kind of thing that we need is we need people, if they're not being represented, we need to make sure that they're creating it and fostering that creativity within them. So I'm hoping that, you know, because that's why I'm trying to become a literary agent. Like that's yes. what I want to do. You know, that's why we need that sort of representation. And that needs to start at the level where we get people's foot in the door, writing yes. their own stories. And if they want to write the fluff, then let them write the fluff and let them have their happy endings. Mm -hmm. I mean, Kat, I mean, that's why you pivoted and you're like, fuck it. I'm yeah. going to write, I'm going to write LGBT romance because it I also pivoted be because I don't fit into the male, female, hetero, like, you know, the types of characters I write don't fit into the heteronormative non, spectrum. Yeah, yeah, basic gender expectations and the like traditional gender roles. And a lot of the queer romance I read, you don't have, and that's awesome. <laughs> like, you can just be who you are. Um, as far as some pros, uh, oh, go ahead, teacher. 
Uh, before we get off this topic. Uh, oh, no, they, we're not get, getting off of the topic. No, no, yet. I mean, before, <laughs> of what Jada was saying about people creating their own content. It is out there. Um, you know, I, I read a webcomic called Questionable Content, um, <laughs> which has a cornucopia of relationship um, drama. Um, you know, the, the web comics are out there. There are, um, you know, the forums for the writing. So the content is out there. A lot of the times it's just out there for free, you know, and you have to search for it. That's pretty much what I was going to jump in and say. Is oh, honestly, sorry, I think that's bad. the problem is, well, no, 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 you're fine. You're fine. It was just piggybacking <laughs> off of what you're saying. But the, yeah, that's the biggest issue. There is so much out there because the internet is so massive um, that to find what you're specifically looking for, sometimes it's just getting harder and harder to find the exact same thing you were looking for or the, your best representation for you because you have to weed through so much nail, which is a great thing. It's a good problem to have, but it's finding, I think that's the hard part though. I think that's a con though too, is finding what fits in your 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 wheelhouse. Uh, Jada. Um, actually, we're seeing that a lot in the LARP communities as well, too, in the just RPG communities, LARPing um, for a very long time was very much a male, especially white male dominated um, ha pastime activity industry, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I love that, you know, now we're really starting to see within the past like five to 10 years, a lot more uh, female story writers, a lot more stories coming out that are genderqueer, that are embracing the queer um, lifestyles and just really telling those stories. And one that I absolutely love, I have, uh, unfortunately I was going to try and go play in it, but then quarantine happened is, um, a friend of mine, she started her own company. She's been LARPing for about two decades now, but her name's Erica Skirpin. And, um, she started, she came up with her own company called Entropic Endeavors. And, um, she started writing and running a LARP called Velvet Noir, which is basically be gay and do crime the LARP. And it's incredible. Um, so it's set in like an alternate universe 1920s kind of setting. And you have, there's all these different factions and different, um, like there's different basically mafioso style families. And characters are very much, there's all different types of spectrums of gender presentation of, you know, somebody could be non-binary and then then presenting one game and then come back and be presenting as masculine in the next game. Um, and it's incredible just some of the stories that I've seen come out of it just from what I've read. I unfortunately haven't gotten a chance to play it yet, but um, I, when things are safe, I definitely plan on making a trip to go out to that. I just want to say be gay and do crime might be my next tattoo. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, it's fun too, like, because honestly, Jada, Bill, and Kat are all going to be in my first game I ever run, which is Monster Hearts, which is very much big about... Um, a, really pretty much just it's the messy lives of teenagers and that includes what your gender identities are and your sexuality are and that's a big part about it. why i was like you know what i would love to run this game because i love the idea of the the female writer of this series is really much very that was the whole idea of this is was for better representation in you know the spectrum you know of of gaming so um just getting back to the the velvet noir game is funny i was sitting down chatting with a friend of mine and he's a white male gamer. He's also on the queer spectrum as well too, but he was looking at it. And he was like, it's really interesting that I could look at this game and say, there's not like a character for me specifically. 
any other LARP that you go to, it's like, okay, you know, you're a white guy. You could be any one of these super powerful characters, but you look at a storyline like this and not only that, but like she made sure to make sure that the writing staff was people of color inclusive, people of different gender presentations and identities inclusive. So the story is definitely not for your typical straight white male power gamer. And, um, you know, I think that that's something that's really going to, we're going to start seeing a lot more of that in the LARP communities. And I'm looking forward to that actually. That's awesome. All right. So what areas do we feel right now, as far as like what corporate is doing, do we feel is probably the worst underrepresented at this point in time? Okay. Everybody is ready to go. Apparently <laughs> uh, I'm going to go to actually, you know what? I'm going to actually ask Aaron if, because I think I, I'm sorry. You just deer in headlights me. Everyone else is ready and I did not have my hand raised. It's not fair. <laughs> um, uh, mainstream television. <laughs> I'm sorry to catch you off guard, but yeah, I, no. I, I thought you had your hand up and I guess I missed it. So no, 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 it's no, it's fine. Uh, no, I think, I think the worst represent, well, actually, no, I'm going to take that back. Mainstream movies. Like there, I cannot think of a movie like a a big blockbuster movie where the main character was anything but heterosexual. You know, you have your Oscar-winning indie-type movies. You know, where it's a troubled like I, I'm trying to remember like it's it's a troubled homosexual man and that's what the movie is about and or but I can't think of anything where it's like a blockbuster summer spectacular where the character is anything but heterosexual. Yeah, I, it's it's sad to think about that for even like a split second. And you're like, nope, can't think of anything. No. Yeah. Um, cat. Uh, I think trans characters as leads. That's, you don't see much of that at all. And actually casting trans actors as those trans characters. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Shout out to Sense8, because you know. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Jimmy Clayton was amazing in that show. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Teej. Honestly, from, from my point of view, if they're, if it's not a gay man or a uh, gay woman everything's underrepresented you know you know they're under those two ends of the spectrum are underrepresented but everything else in the middle it gets even worse i mean really think about it when, when was the last time you saw a bisexual character anywhere honestly i think you just won me the the um episode so we can end here <laughs> okay <laughs> excellent <laughs> have a great night guys <laughs> there there actually may no. be hints of a bi character in Star Trek Picard. Ooh, hints? Oh my That's... god. But again, it is just a like it's a, just a passing hint, you know, it's right. not talking about it. That's what makes it. me crazy though, is like yeah. they, mm-hmm. they tease you with it, but they never actually like there are so many situations where like, oh, wouldn't it be fun to throw that in? So we're gonna give you that nudge, but we're never gonna actually acknowledge it or make it something canon. Like, the only, like, the immediate thing I can think of for bi-representation in, like, TV, for example, would be Legends, because of Sarah and John Constantine, and it was freaking awesome. Lost Girl. (gasps) 
Yeah. Lost Girl was great with Lost that. Lost Girl was amazing. Although Lost Girl fell into the trap that, um, uh, again, this is something that that kind of sings to me, and it is part of it is part of how a lot of um, at least a lot of the people that I know who are on the queer spectrum, a lot of them are also polyamorous, and I mm-hmm. think we need to start really, really, really talking about the idea of ethical non-monogamous relationships and normalizing that on big screens and on TV shows and on everything. Because like we were just watching Legend of Korra. The whole first season, there's this whole love triangle plot between Mako and Asami and Korra and all this. And I was like, why don't they just have a polyamorous relationship and then everybody's <laughs> fucking happy? Like that just, it, to me, because it's something that is near and dear to me, I think that is just, it's so underrepresented. And so many TV shows, so many movies always fall into this whole love triangle plot, love triangle plot, love triangle plot. Like I think I mentioned Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist earlier, and that's another one. Um, like there are so many good aspects of that show, but like the fact that they still fall into that trope just really bothers me. And, you know, even not even talking like V relationships, but actually having like working solid triads between members who are on the queer spectrum and showing that as an option, showing that as a normalized option and a loving option and not like, oh, he has to choose her over me or she has to choose Mm -hmm. him over me or she has to choose that person over me. Like that, that to me is just something that really is underrepresented underrepresented if i could speak it would be great but that is just something that's very underrepresented and really needs to be normalized because they are very healthy trusting relationships and it's not all about just weird sex and cheating like people seem to think it is and the awesome part with like lost girl is that was the main character like that was the main relationships the main character and the heterosexual like you know, Kenzie and Hale were like the side characters and they were the heterosexual (laughs) couple, which was great to see. I just wanted to say really, really quick that um, in the most recent Cassandra Clare series, not the current one that just came out in March, the one that finished up last year, there was a side, I mean, she's notorious for writing love triangles, but there was a uh, few side characters who were in this love triangle relationship for like the whole series and then in the end they were just like um yeah we're all together (laughs) and and that was the first time I had ever seen that in YA fiction that's the first time I had seen a seen a poly couple represented and I thought that was really really great so it's out there it's getting there it's just not there quite yet but but again we've now named three shows that have any type of representation Look at the plethora of, I mean, it's like, I'm well represented. I'm a straight white guy. I don't need another, you know, TV show that shows me, you know, some weird comedy about love. Okay. You know, I don't need a drama about two people getting together. Rob is having a fit over here, so I'm going to let him interrupt me. <laughs> I, I'm bringing it back to our last episode. So th- I want to talk about this great show called The Magicians. Yes! <laughs> yes! Because yes. uh, for those of you totally keeping track, back. now you can take your drink. Because uh, <laughs> on all honesty, holy crap, we've been talking about like underutilization of like relationships and stuff like that holy fuck that show is nothing but awesome 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 bi relationships yes yes, yeah. yes. there's Agreed. a lot of really really great ones and it's and it makes no bones about it anywhere 
um, which is awesome to think about, which was because I almost completely forgot about the show after it got canceled. So, <laughs> Phil, that was just for you. Thank but, you. Thank you. But it's like, change it up. Do the poly relationship. You know, do the do a the lesbian couple, a gay couple. Do something that is two straight people having drama and being idiots on screen. You know. And now Jade is dancing. So, right. so I'm going to pop in with this because while you are like, you're, excuse the bi person calling you a unicorn, but you're like the kind of unicorn straight guy who doesn't want everything to be all about you. <laughs> because the second there is a show or a movie, especially in a well-known franchise, like <clears throat> Star Wars, um, or anything that is not specifically geared towards you and your mindset and your narrow worldview, and I'm not saying you specifically, but I mean, no, no, I get it. in general, this right. is white male community. The second there is something that is not specifically for you, y'all cry like babies. White male rage. Yes. White male rage. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so many tears. So many white male tears. Mm -hmm. um, because the second something is not specifically for your gender identity and your mindset and your sexuality, then it becomes, oh, well, they're pandering. Oh, well, they're doing mm -hmm. this. They're ruining this. It's always that. Da, 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 da. Well, you know what? It's a broad world and it's a broad spectrum. So yes, there will be gay characters in Star Wars. There will be gay characters in Game of Thrones. There will be gay characters in Star Trek. There will be gay characters probably, there were gay characters probably in the Lord of the Rings. You know, it's, it's some of those things that people, it, it's the toxic masculinity that really keeps a lot of the queer community from breaking through that barrier and, and, and for me like to stop. <laughs> yes and i totally agree and for me when i find stuff you know that's that's out there you know sometimes i, I want to share it with people that you know that, you know like now that i know about you know your daughter i did not know she had come out to you when i did uh, i feel bad about that now <laughs> um <laughs> well no i feel like a bad friend i feel oh, like yeah. i should have known that um but uh, there are comics i can give her that you know that have leads that are like that that are age appropriate uh, that's um, wonderful keep it coming yeah uh, <laughs> like I, I sent fish uh, I, I sent it to fish a while ago there's a, a whole list of uh, the whole thing of comics in a Google Drive somewhere. Um, Excellent. Uh, but it's, I want to share that with people because the more it's out there, the more acceptable it is. And maybe, and you're right, I, I, I know I'm the unicorn out in there, but it's... That's the first time in his life he's ever been called a unicorn. Yes. He's very taken Nor aback. And <laughs> normally it's troll and get under the bridge again, man. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, like, I have a lot of friends in this community. And it kills me to see the way they're treated and the way they're underrepresented. And, I, and I'm moving my arm because all the people on the podcast can see this. You know? <laughs> It kills me, and I just I want them to have what I have, and to you know, I want your kids to have the representation that I've had. You know, I make your next superhero a gay one. I don't care. I've got fifty million, half of which aren't even having a comic written <laughs> about them. Make something different. And this is why we love you, TJ. Trust me, we are so grateful to have people like you as an ally. 
not only for us, but for our kids too. And it's it's hugely important. And I hope that there are more people who, even if they identify as as straight, that they look to support communities that are not specifically for them and art that is not specifically for them. And if you're out and if you're listening and you're an ally and you're a straight guy, talk louder. Okay. You're the one, sadly, and I really apologize to all of you, you you guys are the ones who, who people will listen to, so start talking louder. Elevate voices yes. is yes. another way of putting that. Yes. Um, so, honestly, this conversation's been amazing, um, <laughs> and I'm really just floored with how awesome this has been. And, Bill, I will get back to you in a second. Hold on. Um, but right now, I hate to say it, we're at the two-hour mark. Um, and I'm trying to find a way to put a bow on the conversation we have had so far. Before, <laughs> before we put before ahead. we put a bow on it, okay. I, I think we would be remiss uh, in in terms of talking about like erasure of certain uh, aspects of the queer community, uh, the erasure of asexuality. There is almost little. There's little no representation. I know. I think I've heard that Jughead in Riverdale is supposed. To be an asexual character, I don't know. In, if the, written comics. That way. Comics. in the comics, 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 yeah. TV show, God no, he's like oh, a giant no. man. Not but. in Riverdale. No, yeah. Other, other, than that, <laughs> other than that, there was the one character uh, Todd on BoJack Horseman, but apart from that, in mainstream media, in our network shows, cable television shows, we really don't see it. So yeah. Yeah. So I do want to get to. There's two points of this we didn't really touch on, um, and I will definitely bring them back when we we bring this back for the next episode. But which we'll be talking a little bit more about band and piracer, and then straight washing characters as well, because I feel that that's conversations that that are part of this that should continue. But I do feel like a place that we can end this podcast on a high note, because normally we do something goofy and silly, and this has been very. Um, very much talking about the problem uh but i always like to do a little something to move the conversation forward whether that's even just talking about it in a a humorous light a a little bit and it's not saying that what we're talking about here should be viewed humorously i'm talking about it more in the light of um kind of like lifting us up before we walk out of this conversation and i think what we need to do is talk about the things that we all individually would love to see happen within the next 10 10 years to move this conversation forward. What is our individual hope? Um, and then we'll go into our dumb, stupid, silly thing of Mary fuck kill. Um, <laughs> but I would like to at least leave us on a positive place. So I'm just gonna randomly pick on people and then we'll, um, we'll, we'll end up the uh, end the episode. So starting with Aaron, this time you did have your hand up. So. I did, <laughs> I know what I wanna say. <laughs> I'm not a deer in headlights. No, my, my hope is the, is the normalization of this love uh, both in the you know the the in the now i can't even form words um (laughs) both in the pop culture community along with our governing bodies you know we have been awarded same-sex marriage which is fantastic but there's so much more to go with trans rights which have just been walked back unfortunately um and 
there and just basic human rights for the LGBTQ community, along with um, you know rights from different companies to be treated as equal in spouses and so forth. Um, so that's that is my hope in the next ten years, as hopefully there's a changing of the guard, we get a little bit more forward with that. In 10 years, I really hope we have a changing of the guard. God, that would not be good. Oh my God, so. no. I'd be a Canadian citizen by then. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bill. I totally agree with the whole moving the political needle to make sure that we uh, we elect people who properly represent us. Um, and then also getting more people who are from the queer community as writers, producers, directors, actors, everything involved in creating content, in creating movies, TV, books, music, video games, everything. So we can hear, you know, stories from their points of view because we need to hear stories from their points of view as well. Um, Kat. Um, I mean, I would really like to see things change a lot on the publishing front, because that's at least something I'm working within. It's like, I would love to see that shift of not just queer stories for YA, but really spread into adult, where you're getting, like, thrillers with a, a different lead than a white male, <laughs> like a straight white male. It'd be nice, you know where it just becomes a really normalized thing in our media and in our art. Jada. Um, kind of, I kind of want to piggyback on um, something that was mentioned earlier when we were talking about kids programming. Um, because for so long, anybody in the queer community was seen as sick and anybody in the queer community was seen as predatory towards children when that is not the case. So I want to continue this trend and I want to see where it's going to lead us in 10 years and how um, we're seeing people who are in the queer community represented even more so in children's programming, in cartoons that are not even geared towards, you know, like right now my kids are more on the adolescent spectrum age, but like even in the younger, you know, I'm talking like I want to see gay characters on, I want to see gay characters on Sesame Street. I want to see them on many other different forms of children's pro programming that just totally normalizes it from the get-go. And just seeing how that really fosters, because the earlier we expose our children to all different types of people and accepting all different types of lifestyles as normal and as loving and as good, the more they understand it. Like, I think there's an, an ancient meme that was like, you know, um, talking, it was like a parent explaining gay people to their child. And it was like, oh, well, why is that man kissing another man? Oh, because they're gay and they're in love. Oh, okay. Can I have a cookie? Like it just, it needs to be that simple. And when we present it that way to kids, it can be that simple. And people can grow up knowing and understanding that, you know, gay culture isn't something to be ridiculed. Gay people aren't something to be shunned or to be, you know, ooh, um, that they're just people and they're just in love. And that's just how people are. So that's what I want to see. That um, and polyamorous relationships normalized on TV. I would say for me, I would love to see in the next 10 years. And I think it's, you know, I, I think we are seeing, like I said, from what a lot of, just to piggyback on what you're saying, Jada, like you, you're mentioning 
it's already existing a lot in TV as far as kids' cartoons and programming and stuff like that. But I would like to see that also still into the mainstream. And I would hope that within the next 10 years, um, Disney wakes the fuck up and um, can honestly get off their ass and do something about that in a blockbuster format. They make more money than any other studio that exists right now. And they're still terrified to do anything more than a passing glance or a thought about somebody being gay or bisexual in anything that they do. And it's terrifying. Um, honestly, the fact that like there was actually a real hard push apparently behind the scenes for uh, John Boyega and Oscar Isaac to actually come out as gay. And it was pushed back on completely against by the studio, which it was completely ripped out of a context for the film, uh, for the last Star Wars movie. Uh, so much so that there was even supposed to be even more of the two, like the, the, the lesbian couple that we saw that have like a quick kiss in the celebration scene. Uh, they had more of a role. That was cut out. Like those things, just they can't happen like that anymore. There's no reason in 10 years that they can't have a gay princess or a trans lead in an animated film at this point. Because 10 years is a lot of time for them to be able to act. And if they can't do it by them, I think there's a serious problem. Um, yeah, to piggyback off of that, if you look at the streaming services offered and what their LGBT content is, out of all of them, Disney Plus has by far. Like, it's, like, to the point where it's like, whoa, really? There's maybe, like, one thing. It's Whereas, ugly. like, when you look at Hulu and you look at Netflix, there's tons well, because, and the sad thing is, you know what? Disney owns Hulu, and that's where they shunted. That's, that's honestly what they've even actively stated is that belongs on Hulu, because Disney is a, Disney Plus is supposed to be a wholesome family stuff. They did just and, recently put out that short, um, so there is a step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, and I would love for them to do it, but I, until they really get off their ass, I don't believe it until, I won't believe it until I see it. Um, um, TJ. Um, well, in, in my corners of the geekdom, I'd like to see more things like Critical Role and the representation they have there. You know, get that into more stream, streaming uh, games and whatnot and make sure it's out there. You know, it nerds make the world go round, especially w these days. You know, if we can stop being idiots and start accepting these things, it will get better. Uh, and in comics, I, you know, turn, make somebody bisexual who it would make sense for. You know, make somebody uh, trans who it would make sex, sense for. Um, you know, write a gay night uh, or bi Nightwing. He already screws one half of the population. Just have him screw the other half. <laughs> he honestly should at this point. I mean, seriously. This. You know. Talk about bisexual disaster songs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making you a t-shirt that says that. Anyone <laughs> too, please? Also, Lando Calrissian is another one. Yeah, I mean, yes. if, it makes, if it makes, and do it right. I mean, don't. A couple of years ago, Marvel had a fiasco where they outed Iceman with a telepath. It's not the right way to have somebody come out. Um, you know, it's hire the right writers that can write these things. You know, 
hire the right people that can edit these things and stop listening to cis guys. So, yeah, that's where I am. <laughs> TJ, TJ, real quick, you're like a, you're like that episode of uh, Adventure Brothers with a big giant guy like, ignore me. <laughs> you're like the one cis guy in the room going, ignore me. Pay attention to these people, and I yeah. love it. I am so here for it. <laughs> um, Jess, I think you're the last one to go. Sure. Um, I mean, I like Cat. Really, my strongest. The way that I have the biggest influence is the publishing industry. And I really hope going forward that it won't just be me recommending my favorite LGBTQ titles to, to readers, which I do anyway all the time. Um, I really want to affect change on a more fundamental level. Publishing has a long way to go. They've made a lot of really great strides. But there's a lot more work to be done um, as far as representation goes. And there are just so many things that could be done better. So. Um, I just want to kind of end for me on trans lives matter, trans women are women, trans men are men, trans black lives matter. And that, that's it. That's the end of my Amen. Speech. All right. Well, that was honestly a really just awesome episode. So let's fuck it up by doing an MFK. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so tonight, um obviously we always do a merry fuck kill it's very rare that we do anything but and it, you know bear in mind this is not us we we want to get this out there this is not us burying uh, any gays or trying to kill anybody <laughs> off because we understand that can look ugly but we do this all the time obviously if you know our show you know this is just what we do uh but tonight we had a weird theme which was um which was gingers in the LGBT community. Uh, so for this, we have Poison Ivy, obviously, from DC Comics. We have Willow from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And Ian Gallagher from Shameless. Uh, I am going to start tonight with our very own ginger. We'll go with Aaron. And then we'll Yay. go to the next ginger after that. <laughs> all right. I First of all, we kill off Ian from Shameless because I've never seen it. So I don't know him. And I, I guess I need to watch the show because I've heard it's really good. Um, I would totally fuck the hell out of Poison Ivy and Mary Willow because she's just the sweetest. Cat. <laughs> um, trying to think. I guess you know what? Because Ian Gallagher would have zero interest in me. I mean, I'd be willing to down a strap on, but. <laughs> But um, I guess I would have to kill him. Uh, and then I would fuck Poison Ivy because it would be interesting. But I definitely couldn't live with her because I kill plants like all the time. <laughs> and not on purpose, but like it would be a really bad household. Um, and I would marry Willow even though it would be really weird because it would be like <laughs> just too awkward, bumbling uh, redhead. You'd be married so to nice. yourself. Yeah, it'd be really <laughs> odd. <laughs> Ah, Bill. So I have also not seen Shameless. Um, and here's the thing. I, from what I know about the show, the whole family is a mess. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm sorry, Ian. I'm going to have to kill you <laughs> off. Um, 
I would probably marry Poison Ivy because then I would just be a fine house husband. I'd tend to the plants. You better or she would kill you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and then that leaves Willow to, you know, have a fun one night with. Hopefully I don't die. <laughs> I, I've I'm, never I'm, seen I'm, Buff, Buffy either. I, I, I'm not surprised about this. I was like, when you said I haven't, and I'm like, you haven't seen Shameless or Buffy, have you? No, uh, no, I haven't. I'm I think sorry. honestly, when all of this is over, that's all. That's all our job is at this point is to sit Bill down and get him and push him through Buffy and Angel. That's it. I think if that's all we achieve in the rest of 2020, I feel like we've done our job as friends. We're gonna have to set him up with a rig like uh, Clockwork Orange, just hold the eyes open and. <laughs> That's the only way I would be able to get through the whole media list that I have, is to have a chair like that. It's fair. Uh, you know, I'm going to go next on this one, so um, because mine's actually pretty much the same, but it, I've actually seen all these shows. So, uh, Ian Gallagher, um, I honestly, you know what? Ian's a fun character. His love of his life, Mickey, I like more than I like Ian. Um, I think Mickey would be more of the fun partner in that mix. Uh, so I'm going to have to kill Ian. Um, I would say definitely um, you marry Poison Ivy because uh, she does, does feel like she has her head on straight in the situations with, of, of the DC villain lexicon, at least on the Batman's rogues gallery. She can keep Harley's insanity in check. Um, she saw something positive in Kite Man. So... Um, Hey, you know, I think I think it's that's I think we have at least a safe piece there. Also, too, because Willow and the words "board nail" scare the fuck out of me. Um, <laughs> and I think that is honestly just because of what that connotation means. Is if something went horribly wrong, I do not want to be skinned. I really don't want to be skinned. <laughs> so, um, Jess. Sure. Also, haven't seen Shameless. I'm really sorry. Um, it was also really hard to think of a third ginger, ginger yeah. that was in the LGBT spectrum. Sure, sure. So that's just an automatic kill. No offense, nothing personal against Ian Gallagher. Uh, Poison Ivy is great for like one night of just a ton of fun, but she's a little too intense for me. I don't think I can make that work long term, but I would marry the crap out of Will. There. <sighs> Jada. Well, first of all, you went ahead and picked my like kryptonite in gingers, because yeah, like yeah. Okay. Um I also have not seen Shameless, so sorry, <laughs> Ian, but you gotta go. Um, definitely killing Ian. And uh, like many other of the other femmes here, uh, I am opting to fuck the hell out of Poison Ivy and Mary Willow. Fair. TJ. Uh, so, uh, I'm going to surprise nobody by saying, I didn't see Shameless either. <laughs> we all have In fact, I think episode. out of everyone here, there's only two of us who did. Um, Apparently. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, whoever that character is, I'm going to kill them. Simply because I have no idea who they are. Um, so, the, uh, I would fuck Poison Ivy because I am allergic to plants and you know, <laughs> couldn't live with that after one night uh and i'd marry willow 
Very nice. And Jada is laughing hysterically at me. So, you know. <laughs> so, Ben, uh, I asked if Ben would like to join. He said, I also have not seen Shameless. <laughs> uh, and I said, perfect, you fit right in. So why don't you feel free to unmute yourself? And give us your answers for this, too. Um, yeah, uh, I also have not seen Shameless, but I know the actor that plays uh, Ian Gallagher because he was also the Joker in Gotham or Jerome in Gotham, however you really? want to put it. Really? Yeah, oh. Cameron Monaghan. Cameron Monaghan, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm going to, oh, man, I don't know. I didn't put any thought into this because I didn't think I was going to have to answer. This is the um, last major point of the episode, so this is all hinging on you. Uh, if we have a bad episode, I'm blaming you. Oh, it's already putting blame on me anyway, since I'm the one that has to edit this monstrosity. Um, <laughs> Only part of it. I edit the other part. That's true. I do the most work, though. <laughs> um, I volunteered. Um, I- I'd kill Ian Gallagher. Although I don't know, only because of the fact that you you hit a really good point with bored now, um, with Willow that really does frighten the shit out of me. Um, my cat's trying to chime in too in the background. Um, no, I'm gonna kill Willow, just because of that bored now aspect. Uh, Mary Ian, but oh god, Poison Ivy. That's yeah, we're gonna fuck Poison Ivy. <laughs> Especially the one from the cartoon, because I agree with you, TJ, that the cartoon is fantastic. The new one. Oh, yeah. For a minute there, I thought she meant Batman the Animated Series. So I was like, okay, uh, she was... Uh, I mean, that wouldn't be my representation. No, that, no the, Har- the Harley Quinn. The Harley Quinn yeah. cartoon. Yeah. All right. So um, we'll kick around uh, with everybody and talk about what's going on in our, our individual lives. We talked a little bit about that a bit in the beginning, but we'll, we'll do it again here. Uh, give you a little bit of taste of what's to come for part two of our Pride um, series. Uh, but um, starting with Jada, what's going on in your neck of the woods? If there's anything you would like to plug, um, and then we'll kick around. Um, well, I have been doing uh, Bombay Jam sessions over Zoom Sundays at 11.30. Uh, gyms are supposed to be opening up soon-ish, but um, as far as I know, the YMCA is still kind of skittish about group exercise classes. Um, aside from that, I've just been keeping on, keeping on, and trying to keep learning and keep momming and keep nerding. So that's my life. <laughs> Jess. Uh, not too much going on. I'm back at the bookstore. It is open. Please wear your mask. It goes over your nose. And um, that's about it. Not too much going on right now. Nothing to plug. Just everyone stay safe out there. The Rona is no joke. Erin. Uh, I mean, I'm going to go along with Jess. Please wear a mask. It goes over your nose. Wear it properly. Um, yeah, there's nothing going on. There's no shows auditioning nothing everything has pretty much been canceled until next year so i'm just gonna stay in my apartment and uh yeah i'll pretend like i'm sandra bullock from the net and just keep ordering pizza hut from my computer oh my god (laughs) tj well once i'm allowed to have people over again uh, i plan on streaming the two sets of D D games that i'm running so that people can laugh at my players Hey. Who like to attack full werewolf camps? Hey. It's hey. Totally fine. We did fine. <laughs> we survived. Yes. We That's had an idea. you when you surrendered. Yeah, we had we an idea. It was not a good idea, but it was an idea. <laughs> <laughs> the whole the whole thing comes to mind of 
but did you die? <laughs> yeah. yeah, only because your DM was a really nice guy and didn't want to have to roll up eight <laughs> new characters. And everybody's like, wow, you're allowing a party of eight. <laughs> <laughs> Bill. Uh, so I am still major, major gaming. Um, I have a number of different role-playing games um, that I'm playing in and hopefully starting up soon now with Monster Hearts. I really want that to happen um, whenever it's it does. Ready. <laughs> so. uh, I'm also crazy into Magic the Gathering still, um, pushing to Mythic rank every month. Maybe you'll see me on the Pro Tour someday. That's about it. Oh, and I bake bread. Yeah, I bake a lot of bread. Cat, you've written almost three full books since this started. Sorry, yeah, I'm almost. I know. Uh, yeah, I almost done the third. <laughs> That's my lesbian Rehoboth series. Really cute. <laughs> uh, yeah, right now I'm actually trying to pitch three different queer series. Uh, <laughs> one is a heist romance series that is kind of like. Leverage meets Robin Hood meets Batman. Super fun. And then the other one is um, called Dungeons and Dating. That one is um, a bunch of geeks in San Francisco that own a board game cafe. And then the third one is uh, my one that I wrote during quarantine, <laughs> which is uh, just a cute little one about um, three friends who made a pact to find love on their yearly trip to Rehoboth Beach in our and, area. Delaware. And it's and it starts during <laughs> quarantine. It does. <laughs> oh, and it's ending as I'm coming out of quarantine. <laughs> um, as for me, I uh, haven't been doing anything, which is weird to say. Uh, You've been nesting. I have been nesting. <laughs> You've been redecorating the entire house. <laughs> I have. Uh, ben and I are actually working on our new podcast. Um, uh, we we are starting to do some prelim work on, I believe, a show that we're in, currently going to possibly title The Wonderful World of Plus, uh, which is actually a Disney Plus podcast, um, which also feels sad to plug here after how much I was just kind of like, yeah, Disney really needs to get off their fucking ass. Yeah, way to go, Rob. But <laughs> it's not like we were going to get corporate sponsorship anyway, so fuck them. Um, just burn that bridge now. Um but yeah, so we're prepping some early work on that. Uh, but thankfully, it'll be something that'll relatively be easy for people to be able to follow on along. But basically, it's taking the same concept of what we did for, um, uh, oh my God, what's the show called? Still, um, still oh, Afraid of the Dark. Yeah. Our, 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 yes, Still Afraid of the Dark, which is our Halloween podcast that we are planning on still trying to attempt to record, uh, even if it's online. Uh, we'll hopefully still be releasing because our daughter is due. Uh, right around um, when that would be wrapping up for the season, so um, so that'll she'll be she's gonna be close to a Halloween baby, so uh, so hopefully that show will be done and out. And um, it, that's questions what is going to happen with the Disney Plus podcast still. Uh, but I will say we are we do know that this show will continue still throughout the entirety of the year, uh, regardless of that. We're gonna still find a way to make sure that still works and will still come out. We may record an episode or two early just to be safe. Um, just, but um, you know, caffeine crew will not be going anywhere for the rest of the year, uh, and will continue in also into twenty twenty one. 
So, uh, but our next episode, again, as we tackle part two of this conversation, uh, to give you an idea, what we still have to talk about is the best and worst representations of queer culture and pop culture, uh, who we all personally feel that the best role models or biggest icons are, whether they're characters or actors. Uh, the forms of entertainment we feel that represent the positive changes to the LGBTQ inclusiveness. Uh, and then um, also, it wouldn't be us if we didn't talk about creative endeavors, like uh, taking existing films or TV shows or something that we would tweak and change to make more inclusive, or how older things may be different if they were written today. Uh, plus, we're going to expand upon all of this now because we have a couple of weeks to add more uh, to what this whole messaging was. So we hope you guys stick around for that for episode 64, um, again, which is part two of this. And then um, I hope you guys enjoy whatever content we still have prepared for the rest of the year that will follow shortly after. But thank you guys so much again for joining us on this long one. I know it's almost uh, two and a half hours in. Um, and uh, like I said, we'll see you guys right around the bed. Bye. 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 Bye.